0: Tune in to The Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM.
1: Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens.
2: Now, there is masses of masses of speculation this morning in the newspapers, both in print and also online, as to exactly what's going to be announced later on today. And it's firstly confusing and secondly Contradictatory, if that's even a word. Like the Echo this morning says, uh, Martin, to reveal easing of level five. Uh, Then the Examiner picks up on the story saying that Neffet is saying the cases are too high to ease the limit. So it depends really on what newspaper you pick up. Like, for instance, the Mirror this morning says, hair to stay. Uh, or maybe lack of it, if you like, salons and pubs to remain shut for round about six weeks anyway. But there should be good news on construction. So thumbs down for pints and haircuts, but no surprise there. Uh, Then the star says lockdown to drag on, but the kids will get to stay, get to play school. I mean, you'd be dizzy from it. You really would. They talk about easing the 5K limit next week. I'll have more on that in a few minutes time. And then you have the independent in print saying the slow escape from lockdown, easing of some restrictions to be postponed amid dire warnings from health chiefs like, what Neffet want, and we do do know this, is for the government to just stall the ball and to proceed slowly and do nothing in the coming weeks because of stubbornly high numbers. Uh, But I will come back to it in a few minutes time. Uh, The Star also talks about, um, you know, with more and more people getting sweeteners and grants to move to remote employment and indeed to move away from Cities like Dublin and to a lesser extent Cork, I suppose, to rural towns. Pubs, they say, will become rural hotspot hubs as part of a new government plan. Why? Well, them and other buildings like them are by and large unused during the day, like pubs and sports facilities and community halls, and they're all going to be considered for remote working. That sounds a bit scary to me that people would be encouraged to work remotely uh, from uh, community halls and sports facilities it really does it sounds rather Dickensian actually and kind of, kind of cold and, 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 and somewhat almost industrial. But there you have it nonetheless. They want to use buildings that are heretofore uh, aren't being used. And with the changes maybe to people's social interaction going forward, maybe more and more empty buildings will be available. And um, we move from the beacon now. Well, actually, it's still connected to the beacon with regards to the jabs that they've been giving out because the mail this morning says that the chief of the VHI uh, got a vaccine jab at the beacon as well. The private hospital has apologized clearly and you I mean you could be apologizing forever and it won't make it right but they said that an investigation now is underway at the hospital, they're issuing statements and everything regarding the jabs um, controversy. We spoke with the Corkman Patrick yesterday about time that he spent in, in quarantine picked up by some of the newspapers online uh, and indeed the Echo but uh, there's another chap then who makes the papers today who's saying that travelers forced to stay in mandatory hotel quarantine are granted less outdoor time than inmates and people self-isolating in Irish prisons. Point being, you get more outdoor time in prison than you do in a quarantine hotel. The UK is on track. Unfortunately, they power on with pubs and shops and all sorts of things opening in the coming weeks. And one of the things that you can thank COVID for is the fact that it's put a dent in the amount of murders, sexual assault, um, uh, physical violence and serious crime. It's plummeted when they look at the, the figures in the last 12 months by comparison to say, I guess... You know, twenty nineteen and what have you, uh, and then the papers also talk of um, people who claim to be homeless on the streets of Cork. It's an echo story before the courts, uh, where a Romanian uh, couple who claimed that they were living on the streets and that claimed that they were living outside a Cork church, uh, they were interviewed by the Garda shikona who found a key. In one of their pockets, uh, they couldn't find what door or what house. All the guards believed that they did live in a house. But what was interesting during the court case is that it was revealed that eight thousand eight hundred euro in cash was transferred from Ireland to Romania in the past two months by the Romanian couple who claimed they were living on the streets um, and were homeless and had no fixed address. So it's an interesting story as to, you know, I mean, some might say, and those that are very much involved in civil liberties would say, it is nobody's business as to how they sent 8,800 euro in cash to Romania. But then again, a question needs to be asked, how does a homeless couple who are living outside, a you know, blankets outside it? outside of charge managed to gather 8,800 euro in cash and an awful lot of people I suppose would make up their own minds on that one. We have other issues then with regards to anti-social behavior and the echoes holding in on Crosshaven and the influx of teenage gangs which have become a problem down in Crosshaven with regards to anti behaviour. They call it unsavoury incidents that are plaguing the town uh, and they want a stop to the gallop before it gets worse as we head into the longer days and spring and summer. Tommy Tiernan has having great sunshine in his life these days and yet again for another week he has toppled and trounced the numbers that the Late Late Show brings in. So Tiernan is the big, big hit and a ratings hit once again, which is kind of amazing because it probably costs absolutely next to nothing to buy on Tommy Tiernan's show. I mean, there can be very little research when he doesn't know who the guests are. So think about it. I mean, he's just such an incredible talent. The uh, murder case, which has a policeman for the case, uh, courts in the UK, uh, a former policeman now accused of killing George Floyd, um, you know, uh, in an attack that actually sparked the riots originally around Black Lives Matters and protests around the world. Um, that's being televised in America. So yesterday, the, the Red Tops and the tabloids are saying America came to a stop for the first day of the trial. Reminds you of the uh, you know, the O.J. Simpson trial and to a lesser extent, I suppose, uh, the Michael Jackson trial and other trials like that. So that's being played out on American television. We all know at this stage now that um, the Ever Given has moved and it's well on its way now and trade has resumed the Suez Canal. But for those of you who use Dr. Google to find out what's wrong with you, uh, a new study just released, picked up by the Star, says that sick people who use Dr. Google to find out what's wrong with them usually get the right diagnosis. Now, just think about that for a moment. You know, you will keep on Googling and Googling and Googling and Googling until you get bad news. Until you eventually arrive at a place where you think it's going to kill you. Do you know the way it is? Like when you Google something like dry skin or something, uh, you got a bit of dry skin, anything, pain in your thumb. It's never like the first solution, the first diagnosis. You keep on going and you keep on going until eventually you come to need amputation. And stuff like that. But there it is nonetheless. To to some extent, you know, um, you, you actually don't need to Google anything with regards to dry screen because pseudocreme will do the job. Think about this, right? Am I the only person in the planet that could not understand why there was a photograph of Madonna in all her Madonna-type gear making the news yesterday? I looked at the photograph and said, yeah, it's nice. And then somebody um, said, sent me a, 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 an actual snap on it on WhatsApp saying, she must have chapped skin. And I'm saying, what is going on? I don't get it. But apparently what people do, when they look at somebody's photograph in social media, they zoom in behind them to have a look around their room or what's in their kitchen. Or in the case of Madonna, what's on the shelf in her bathroom? And it's been revealed. It's the Irish cure for nappy rash on Madonna's bathroom shelf she do be having pseudo cream (laughs) aren't people very nosy and very inquisitive all the same and also I don't know whether are men as bad as women is it a women's thing I'd love to know the nosiness of it all but there is one other story that involves men and women this morning remember last week we had a bit of an old uh, laugh about the fact that apparently um, uh, men get more penalty points than women right And I was saying that's because women are safer drivers and they're more cautious and that got a lot of people going off on one. Well, this morning I can tell you, in spite of the fact that men get more penalty points than women, men pass the driving test more than women. So go and figure that one out. Uh, So gender stereotyping making the papers this morning showing that 25% more men pass the driving test than women. Now somebody's bound to come back and say, ah, well that's only because more men sit the driving test than women. (laughs) You couldn't be up to this stuff. The Neil Prenderville Show. So that's all the stuff making the printed newspapers, right? And we're expecting some kind of announcement. Does anybody know actually when Micheál Martin will make some kind of an announcement later on today? It could be in the afternoon. Although, uh, knowing Micheál Martin and politicians, he'll wait for the 6-1 news and then do it live on there. I actually don't know. Um, but the RTE this morning took a bit of a flyer saying that um sometime in the coming weeks sometime you'll be able to travel around your county but that there will be no relaxing of any kind of restrictions next week at all um but there are and the independent online picks up on that this morning saying that people will be allowed to travel within their county under plans to be discussed at cabinet today and that it will happen from the middle of april so in a fortnight's time if what we believe he's going to announce is announced, you'll be able to travel around the entire county of Cork. And with the tiny numbers that we have, it's about time too. Because 5k or 10k or 20k, as the weather gets better and the days get longer, will just mean that people will crowd in areas within 15 or 20 kilometers. Whereas if it's countywide, for instance, an example, instead of having a choice of two or three beaches, if it's countywide, you'd have a choice of perhaps 40 beaches. You know, much more forests and walks and trails. So that's got to be an upside. But they're saying that they're considering postponing the plans of easing COVID from next Monday. Instead, make these kind of changes later in April, like the middle of April. And that would involve travel, outdoor activities, sport, construction would all be lifted, but only on a phase basis starting from about the 12th of April. Uh, now, Neffet have recommended any kind of like sporting activity whatsoever and nothing to do with pubs and restaurants or anything to be even looked at before May. So that's where we are. It's very, very much uh, speculative at the moment. But if we're to believe what we're expecting to announce, nothing to happen in the next couple of weeks. But by mid-April, um, countywide travel. How would we feel about that, lads? Text 0868 Pick up the phone on 1 850 Is it something positive to hang on to, even though there's another couple of weeks on it? Or should it be county dictated in the sense that Cork really could go countywide straight away with the tiny numbers? So could Kerry and other counties like that. And why is nobody talking about Dublin? No one is talking about the ridiculously high numbers in Dublin. Only ridiculously high, incident when you compare them to other counties around Ireland. But nobody's talking about regionalized relaxations and doing something to sort out the numbers in Dublin. Anyway, lines open on that. 1850 104 106. You can text 086 8104 106. After the break, uh, some time back, I uh, received an email and we talked about it at, at length, actually, about people who have a fear of things, particularly dogs. There was one particular caller, uh, or two, there was a few, actually, who were at their wits' end with regards to a fear of dogs. And one particular email from a mum who was at her wits end trying to look after her child um because the child absolutely... Uh, lives in fear of dogs and that email was along the lines of i'm wondering can you listen us up? my six-year-old boy is absolutely terrified of dogs so much so that it's ruining his childhood you might recall that he's always on edge if we go anywhere and it is heartbreaking he's constantly looking over his shoulder we can't go to the parks or playgrounds and it's just getting worse i dread the summer i'm thinking of getting a dog to see if it helps has anyone been through similar circumstances Can anyone put me in contact with someone who can help? He goes to school that's situated on a dangerous road and my fear is that he'd run out onto the road if he sees a dog. Any help would be greatly appreciated. And it got me thinking of other stories that I had last week about people who can't go out with their kids or they themselves can't go for a walk or go to a public park or to a beach. If they see dogs on them, they turn around and leave. Hypnotherapy, lads. Hypnosis could well be the answer. More on that next. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Susan McGilligan, thanks so much for taking the call. How are you?
3: Good morning, Neil. I'm very well, thank you.
2: How are no, you? No, uh, very well. I, uh, I came across you through a listener who actually used your good offices to help them overcome a 40-year fear uh, of dogs. And you work in the area of counselling, um, uh, psychotherapy and hypnotherapy. Now, I also have another case history of a girl whose son is six years old. Petrified of dogs, and I hope that you may be able to help her in that regard. But what can you, what can you tell us say about the case that you dealt with with the girl with a 40 year fear?
3: Yes um I knew from the you know from the get go just by looking at her physical appearance she was actually shaking when she was describing her predicament um she was definitely in what i would call a hypnotic trance i could she had all the signs of it she was almost hyperventilating she couldn't even almost say the word dog she was that terrified So I knew she was associated into her phobia or fear, you know, very strongly. Mm -hmm. So I chatted to her, got her to relax, you know, sit down. It sounds like we're just having a chat, and Mm -hmm. a lot of people say that to me, but it's more than just a chat. I help people to relax so that as they're chatting, I'm picking up on all the little micro-expressions, you know, body language, if they're... You know, shuffling their feet or clasping their hands mm. that tells me a lot. So we communicate uh, with our bodies without realizing it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very quite a high uh, percentage. It's 55% physical. Mm. So I can read somebody straight away. And the words that come out of their mouth is really only like 7%. See, and the tone of their voice, so if they're fr- afraid... I can tell straight away. Now that's thirty-eight percent.
2: So, I, so when you move in then to the areas of hypnotherapy or hypnosis, isn't that isn't isn't there a stigma to that that people are a little bit slow to to divulge or to go into hypnosis for fear of what they might say or what they might reveal or whatever?
3: That is true. There's still a stigma, and I'm hoping to lift that. That stigma. I always tell my clients that you're the one in charge. You're the one in control. I'm just the guide. It's like you're. I'm the tour guide, and if you want to get off the bus at any time, you get off the bus and admire the scenery. You don't need to stay on the bus. So they often. I can tell by somebody's facial expressions if their lip goes up or they they cringe. They have the you know. I can tell by body language if they're not comfortable, and I say you don't need to tell me. But I what, don't need to
2: work with content. But when they're under then, is that the proper term, under?
3: They're in a nice medium trance, um, a nice light medium. It's not It's not a very deep trance. Some people, if they go too deep, and I can tell by certain body movements, um, uh, rapid eye movement, there's a lot of ways I can tell. Yeah. If they go too deep, they, they could fall asleep.
2: So you're literally um, go, go. I forgive me for trying to make it sound maybe oversimplifying it, but are you bringing them back to events of years gone by to the event that triggered yes. this this phobia, yes. this fear?
3: That's that's correct. In answer to your question, there, Neil, what you were saying about revealing personal information that never happens. Um, sometimes they might do, but it. It, it'll be a very positive experience. Okay. It's so, like something that needs so, to come up. So, you, know? so
2: you, you, you would need to go back to an event in time, whether that was this issue with the that came with the fear of dogs and yeah. something that happened, mm-hmm. wh- why somebody would suffer panic attacks would have to go back to an event in their life, wouldn't it? People who it's suffered not, with uh, anxiety would be an event in their life?
3: Not necessarily, Neil. No, um, it's not really an event. To but it depends if it's yeah the fear of dogs in that particular case for that lady was an event but i'm also going to address um programming and automatic programming and you know you mentioned about um you know innate um fears that we're born with which is your fear of falling and fear of loud noises um why are we
2: we're born with those why
3: well they're innate where that's they're like in our our dna you know falling or loud noises anything else is a learned response through an event Um, is it not so much an event no um when we come into this world we we learn from our parents you know teachers Peers, and we—that's who you know—all our life experiences, and that's you know who we are. We get the the map of the world, and you know, a set of rules, the rules of life, I suppose. And then you come—you might come to a stage in your life where the map isn't suitable for you. It's not your map. And this is where people come to me with anxiety, and they think, well, you know, I've been doing it the way my parents have been doing it, and their parents, and I should be okay, and I should feel this way. And this is where the anxiety can come up if if they're living somebody else's life. Now, getting back to the phobias and the fears of dogs, or in, in the, you know, or any fear really. Very often, it's copying behaviour from parents. And I have dealt with this a lot, where a father maybe or a mother might admit it to me. Oh gosh, they probably got that from me. Mm. You know, mm. they saw me jump, but I, I try to hide it from them. Mm. And it never worked. And and actually, that's very,
2: that's very true because I've seen children of parents who had uh, a fear, sometimes irrational fear of things like uh, mice or spiders is another big one. They probably never know why, except it was because they are just mimicking the reaction of their mother or their father when they Uh, saw that. Or, you know, maybe your parents had a fear of flying or swimming or issues like that. You know? Yeah.
3: But the one thing I'd like to address here, Neil, and it's very important, is that in order to get the help uh, with somebody who has a phobia, it's very, very important not to blame a parent. And it's very often they feel guilty. They say, well, my, my mother or my father, they've been really good to me and I feel bad now saying this. You know, I've, my, my mother suffered with anxiety or depression and now I'm picking up our habits and she's really a lovely woman and yeah. I hate saying yeah. this about her. So this is what happens then and the people don't get the help. So what, the way I approach this is I say, look, it's just your programming. I compare it to a, a phone, an Android or an Apple maybe. And I might ask them, what type have you got? Or, uh, you know, an operating system. And I'd say that's all it is. You're just upgrading your your operating. System.
2: Is that, so is that what it is under hypnosis or hypno that you are rewiring or upgrading their yeah. their software? Yeah. And how that's how exactly. come how come it seems to it seems to work? You know, I'm led to believe across a very broad spectrum. There's the ones we just dealt with, and but also relationship problems, weight management, smoking, um, confidence. How come is is it all about rewiring and rebooting?
3: It is rebooting. That's exactly and it's a nice way of putting it. Rather than pointing fingers and blaming and trying to find out who gave, you know, what your mother did or didn't do for you when you were five, you know, that's gonna keep you helpless. And the blame game is, is not empowering for anybody to say, look, this is it, this is my programming. I mean I always say open your computer up. If you've got a bug or a virus in your computer, are you just you know, you might have to in, uninstall something and reinstall other software so that it does work for you. You don't complain about it. You just get on with and it.
2: And are all of the memories, all of our lives that we live, are they all stored in the brain?
3: Yes. Everything? And, uh, yes. Yes. Millions and trillions of so, so every minute of, of
2: every day for every year we lived is accessible under hypnosis, really?
3: Yes, and and, and I, I speak about this as if, um, uh, talking about energy. So if there's, say, for instance, one memory, say you had a thousand memories, and they all had the same emotion. So emotion is energy in motion. So if, say, the emotion was one of uh, fear, or, or shame, for instance, is a big one that I deal with. So if it's the emotion of shame, I don't need a thousand memories. I only need one. Uh, to work with to shift that energy from them and usually comes up manifests in the physical body as well, so can and you help
2: people with with the issues regarding shame or life crushing bereavement yeah, uh, yeah. You know, things like that yeah
3: it 's stored in the body and they're often manifest as physical ailments i often i 've treated many cases um, of psychosomatic illness where doctors and specialists have had just no they're baffled, they, they said, there's nothing physically wrong with you, go and see a psychiatrist. And I've worked with, um, especially around the throat area, like the throat chakra, which is to do with communication. And I and they say, "I said, you often get sore throats or, you know, chest infections. And I might say, yeah, how do you know that? Well, I'd say, if you have a problem expressing yourself. So I deal with that. But it's, I'm combining hypnosis with a lot of other different tools. I'm kind of oversimplifying it a bit here now but hipnotic uh, yeah but kind
2: of uh, yeah but for the benefit of this conversation and and the time yeah. that we have together D- did I also find that uh, you, on your website that you deal with probably a relatively new issue and that's social media addiction is that right
3: huge I deal a lot with yes, um these online games. I have parents who are pulling their hair out and they can't get the attention of their children. They feel they've lost their child to the the computer and And virtual. would they bring their
2: child along for hypnotherapy?
3: Yes. Oh gosh, I, I've treated children as young as four. I can treat
2: babies in fact. And has that their has that their has that reduced their um their need to game or to spend time on laptops and phones and things?
3: What it does is, it. I want to empower the child. I know it might sound like, to a parent, that might sound, you know, why are you empowering the child? You know, it's, I want the child to make the decision, say, you know, this is gonna be fun, much more fun when you can control your brain. And I might often use the analogy of the, the little toggle in their hand that they use for their game systems uh, to control their own brain. So they think it's cool that they've learned some new tricks. Um, but I'd, obviously, they don't want to be fighting with their parents. Uh, so I do a kind of a collaborative approach. So I like to have parents with me in, you know, with me when I'm dealing with their children. It's very important. But it
2: surely wouldn't work if the child attends for any of those issues uh, under protest.
3: Under protest, I have done. I'm actually writing a book at the moment. And one of the stories is, is a parent who brought their teenage son and they were afraid of him. And he had massive anger issues and I, I said, you don't even want to be here, do you? And he said, nope. And I said, do you like cars? And he just, his, his, I could see the shift and I said, tell me what size engine would it be if you, you know, what color would it be? So when I engaged, uh, his subconscious mind I was doing waking hypnosis with him or conversational hypnosis
2: you it's just, called you just you just reminded me of something there actually because I have spoken on numerous occasions in the past with parents of children who are on the autistic spectrum and have challenging behaviour is that a no-go area for you?
3: no, there's no no-go areas with me I I will take as long as the parent is present if there's a, any issues there um, I will work with entire families if it's a, you know to get everybody communicating, maybe in a new style, a new communication style. It, each one of us has our own unique communication style, but it's the one that suits everybody, you know? It's and a you win-win know, situation.
2: yeah, but you know, with with I think it's astonishing that every single memory that we've ever had is stored in there somewhere in this amazing machine of the brain. And yet we use so little of it, don't we?
3: Oh, gosh it's, it's incredible but that's kind of to our advantage as well because otherwise they'd be complete overwhelm when everything comes flooding up um, now this, there's a, I always know when someone comes to me with symptoms like OCD uh, panic attacks I, I just know straight away from the symptoms that there's repression going on or depression depression is like to press down a lot of depression people think oh this person can't speak they're tired all the time a lot of it is unexpressed anger and rage that they haven't been given an outlet for
2: and how do you work say in the last 12 months can you work covid remote
3: yes i have, I have another website vidi therapy i've only just recently put it up there for you know to facilitate zoom um zoom um and it doesn't matter it can be anywhere yeah uh, and that's 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 worked with children and parents yeah.
2: and None of this is covered under, say, for instance, medical cards or or health insurance or any of that, is it? No, unfortunately It is unfortunate, really, isn't it? It's very unfortunate. It's
3: so sad. And we've been trying to, you know, I'm a member of a professional organization. um, So it's the European Association of Professional Hypnotherapists. I'm on the committee for that. And we're very much about um highlighting the importance and the value of hypnosis and hypnotherapy um for pain management, yeah, um cancer um survivors or people who've just been diagnosed. Um I run a program for that myself, um, to help them with anxiety and not only that, but create a visualization under hypnosis to visualize, you know, them improving, their health improving, because there's a thing called a nocebo effect as well as a placebo effect it's a nocebo effect so if the doctor says oh dear you've only got so many months to live it can
2: crush you you can and yeah. you need to you have buy into positive. it yeah you buy into it yeah 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 what do you what do you make of um, the hypnotists on stage that perform and do things in theaters
3: i do not approve at all I think but it's, it's only terrible. a bit it's surely it's
2: only a bit of fun no
3: no i don't agree it's it's making fun of people at their expense i I think no i'm not in agreement of it i think i use i'm using it in a clinical setting for therapeutic purposes for serious stuff and helping people now the one thing i'll say to you as well is my therapy is always fun anyone that comes to me always say we are such a laugh and and it's not laughing at their problem and but laughter and humor is so powerful when you're dealing with fears and phobias.
2: And and this is Yeah. Will one session do it?
3: Oh well the lady that rang in Madeline I got her permission actually to speak on her behalf and she gave me full permission. Um I did hers in one session. I've done many many sessions uh fear of ski lifts and uh I mean I will work with if somebody says to me I'm very religious and I'd say, tell me, who do you pray to? And one lady in particular said, "Well, Padre Pio, he's my hero." Or you know, so she had a fear of lifts, and she needed to go travelling. I said, "You know what? I want you to see yourself in the lift, and Padre Pio is there with you." <laughs> and it, it actually worked for her. Okay. And I'd say, Holy Mary is there, and she's her arms out, and she's receiving you now, and they are nodding, and they're so they're <laughs> smiling delighted. Now that's, these are not my beliefs.
2: No, but I'll, I'll have that picture meeting. I'll have that picture in my head all day long now. Padre <laughs> <laughs> Pio me and our lady in a lift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it expensive that's, then a session? That's you, you
3: see you it's fun. I have people coming to me with, in, I, I deal off with young teenage boys or in their 20s, they are suffering hugely with anxiety and they don't have a good relationship with their parents. They feel that my parents don't understand me. They're speaking a different lingo. It's very difficult. So It's yeah, always, it's always
2: been that way though. I don't know what you call that anxiety. <laughs> I think that's just the passage of life, isn't it?
3: Oh, definitely. But then I try and use some skills and I always use the humour and, you know, get them. <laughs> Get them to feel that they've yeah. got some bit of control over their their reaction, maybe, yeah, and yeah. the communication skills with their parents.
2: And and just yeah. I was just asking, is it expensive for treatment?
3: Um, I don't charge by the hour. It's a hundred a session. The session could be anything from an hour to two hours. It includes uh, not not always, but often, an MP3 recording, which I make live. I don't make. I don't use scripts. So if I feel the child needs a recording. I'll do it live in front of them and I'll email it to them or that's, WhatsApp it to them.
2: That's the a parents. great backup, isn't it? That's a great added tool, a recording yes. of the session. So will yes. will you, will you, would you mind taking a look at Sarah and her six-year-old six boy who is going to get knocked down by a car if he doesn't overcome this fear of running away from dogs, you know? Yeah,
3: definitely. Well, I'll give it a go.
2: Thank you I mean, so this, much.
3: And, 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 and as we say, you know, there is, there, no one's going to say there's a cure. We're not allowed to say that anyway. This is um, a complementary therapy, um, in the sense, you know, complementary to the to the medical orthodox treatments. Um, I have had referrals from the, my local GP, and with great success. Um, but you're right, what you said about the stigma, mm, you know, mm, but mm. it is all safe. I am fully insured as well. Oh, no, and listen, and I'm,
2: I'm, I'm mad keen to have conversations with the likes of your good self. I think it's a great thing to be able to talk about things in a different way rather than the traditional type all yeah. of the time. Allow people to make up their own mind is what I always say. Um, yes. And I'll put you in touch with her, Susan, but it's lovely to catch up with you. Thanks so much for taking the call.
3: You're very welcome. Neil. Thank you very much for
2: having me on. All the best Thanks. for now. Cheers. Susan McGilligot could be a route for you guys and you'll find her on a Google search, Susan McGilligot uh, Caragoline Hypnotherapy. After the break, from uh, unfortunate story of a young pregnant girl homeless on the streets of Cork. That after the break.
0: Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851
2: 04106 Red FM. And you can text 0868 104 106 pick up the phone on 1 850 104 106. I want to chat to Lisa. I hope that this call might make all of the difference in our Life. Lisa, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Are you in? Are you in a bed and breakfast now for the last few nights?
4: I am. Due to um, the Street Angels.
2: Okay, so thank God you're off the street. You're not in a tent at the moment because you had been in oh. a tent for how long? Were you in a oh, tent
4: for, for weeks and weeks? And it wouldn't be my first time in a tent.
2: So on and off for how long have you been on the on the streets and homeless?
4: Oh, well, it's been years. It's been the whole twenty two years of the addiction. It, it's been oh it's been chaotic
2: and when did it all start to unravel
4: I tell you what I, I smoked a joint of of hash and it's just that's just a gateway drug and that's how it all started
2: at what age
4: I was only 16
2: oh, right. and that led on to were you drinking as well at that time at that stage or younger
4: um, no, I wasn't drinking at that time, but it led on to everything else. It led on to heroin, cocaine, crack, it led to everything. And drink, and I do drink as well. I, I drink to keep myself warm.
2: You're pregnant now, are you still drinking?
4: I, I Honestly, yes.
2: Yeah, I know, it's, it's all right. I'm not here to judge you, I'm just here to listen to your story. So be as be as honest as you can, you know. How, how long Absolutely. pregnant are you, a few months?
4: I'm just near the three-month mark now.
2: Yeah, and but but are you on methadone now, or are you on still using heroin?
4: No, I'm 10 mils of methadone.
2: Right, okay, okay. Yeah. And in fairness to you, you haven't been drinking since the weekend?
4: No, I haven't, I haven't. Are you, trying I, to, you know,
2: are you trying to take it one day at a time?
4: That's all I can do. That's all I can do.
2: So... In your in your in your late teens things started to go wrong. Were you were you still in school at the time and still at home with your family?
4: I was at home. I left school was, look we all have our family problems. I, everything just led to uh, oh, it's just oh, it was chaotic me, it's chaotic. It's chaotic. It chaotic. This is my first time ever looking for treatment ever. Really? I've never asked anyone for treatment and I'm thirty seven years old. I, I have four kids during care. And then I'm pregnant again and I just can't do it.
2: Okay, well I I I, it. I I I won't be allowed to talk to you about your children in care, okay? No, that's
4: fine. I can mad
2: only I I can bad. only deal with your own situation yeah, and the predicament absolutely. and your need and your want to change. But through your twenties then, um like did you never have a flat or a bedsit or a house share?
4: I had bed sets, but it was always the wrong company and <sighs> You know.
2: And the company you kept then led down the the slippery dark slope to to heroin, was it?
4: Everything, prostitution, everything. Really? Yes.
2: And you would use that money then to fund your habits?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: It's a wonder I knew how. It's a wonder you were able to continue and that you're still around. I mean did you you must have lost friends over the years.
4: Oh, I just buried a friend last week. It was sad. You know It was really sad I don't know Look I must be here For some reason I don't know how I'm not dead To be quite honest
2: And how Like How how did you gather Okay you said prostitution Was there Was there much money To be made in that Oh there's a lot Soul destroying work Though for you I'd say was it
4: Oh I'm a heartbroken woman A heartbroken woman It still haunts me
2: did and you have you stopped that now?
4: Yes, I've. Yes, okay. I've. Okay, absolutely.
2: Because cle- clearly, everything you earned and everything you did was just to buy more heroin.
4: Just to get on my day, so I wasn't sick, and I, you know, that was it. That was it. Because I don't rob banks. I don't do don't do anything stupid like that. But all I knew was myself, and that's what I used.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, but this is this is the first time now that you've actually said, "Okay, I want change. I want to get myself well."
4: Yeah, my hands are up now. Okay,
2: yeah, my hands okay. are up. And you, and you you also have the added responsibility of a baby on the way.
4: Yes, and it's very emotional, and I am a, a wreck. I'm a wreck. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I'm. I don't know where to go. I don't know. I'm lost. Oh, I feel alone. I feel there's nobody out there. Oh, it's
2: crazy. And okay, Absolutely crazy. And, and and this is just kind of a yes or no question. There, there's no family to go back to to look for help. No. Okay. And the, the your partner, the father of the child, where where would he be?
4: He's incarcerated. He's in jail. Yep.
2: Well, it's yeah. a nightmare of a story in all sorts of different ways, isn't it?
4: Oh, my God, in every way possible.
2: But you're in a much better place now. I mean, hang on a second now. You're on methadone. You are reaching out for help. You're in a bed and breakfast for now. For now. You haven't had a drink since Sunday. Exactly. And you want to get clean.
4: Oh, I do want. I need to get clean. For me and for the baby, I have to get clean because I cannot do it again. I can't. I don't think I'll survive. Yeah. If, if I don't get clean, I don't think
2: I'm going to survive this time. Oh my God! It must have, be, it must have been awful to have a number of children while still using heroin. Oh, it's horrible.
4: So it's like just, to go haunt, it haunts.
2: haunts me every day. I I know. Day,
4: any, I know yeah. Every day.
2: You it must make you feel. It must have been. You must have felt very guilty about it. About trying to perform and to be a mother at the same time, throes of addiction from a thing like heroin.
4: Oh, the guilt and the shame is absolutely horrible some nights I cry myself to sleep
2: most nights actually Thinking about the years
4: Thinking about everything and the baby I'm carrying Does that worry you? Are you very worried about that? I am I am
2: Yeah Try not to look back you know Try to look forward I'm trying (laughs) And and where are you with regards to treatment? Can you get in anywhere or is there a period of time where you have to be clean?
4: No, you don't have to be clean. There there would be a period of time that goes for everybody. Yes. Um, But, I mean, being pregnant, come on, like, if I'm never asking, you know, I just need help.
2: Okay, okay. And have you reached out to anybody to see if they can get you that kind of help?
4: I did the street angels and they're the only people helping me at the moment yeah
2: yeah yeah and before the B&B was it a squat you were in or were you in a tent or where Where were you tent where was that down Grattan Street in the winter
4: in the winter in the morning on my left home.
2: my god it must be very depressing
4: well it's was horrible absolutely horrible people passing out they are looking at you I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person they're looking at you it's a shame you've nowhere to have showers it's oh my god
2: we heard leon's story the misfortune who died on our streets recently and behind everybody there is a story and there is a person you see and you you feel that people aren't looking at you the person the story the human being isn't it
4: Looking at the person sitting, having a drink, trying to keep themselves warm, but they don't understand that. You know, but they think we're just junkies. We're not. We're people.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: We have hearts. We have feelings. We we're human.
2: It's. I hear it's so easy now to get heroin, uh, and it's getting just worse, not better.
4: No, I It possibly is, possibly, but you know what?
2: Well, we're certainly hearing of more people dying and more people in need of treatment than ever before.
4: It's crazy, like, I mean, there should be some halfway house for somebody to go, you know, it's absolutely crazy. With this COVID, there's a waiting list for the treatment centres, which is, look, that's okay, that's understandable. I understand that, but I mean... Oh,
2: you you, you, you may, mean, may you may wish for treatment, but you think there may not be a place.
4: There may not. You, you wouldn't know. There may not.
2: Have you been in touch with Arbor House?
4: Yeah, oh yeah, I go to Arbor House. Yeah, and the doctor is absolutely the up there.
2: Can they refer to Coenvora, Coolmine, Tabor? Yeah, refer, I said was forty. Yeah, I was speaking to him about the referral, um, and that's
4: going to be done. Up to Ashgrie House, up to Care and to
2: Yes, yes.
4: Because the point is me being around Cork City when I'm I know too many people.
2: That's right. That's right. You know? It would be very, very easy to slip.
4: Ah, uh, sure
2: look. <laughs> it's it's all about the company you keep a lot of the time, isn't it?
4: It is, it is, it is the company. But then again, look, it's me in the end of it.
2: But those days for all of that time, they must have been very, very long and very repetitive
4: day oh, after horrible.
2: day.
4: it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, if you're waiting for the night lights inside the sign, then you're thrown out in the morning at half seven and then you have to wait till 11 o'clock at night to go in. That's a very long day.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know? You'd be out early morning, would you? Up by 7.30 at your Oh my God, that's very early. And not in again till like 11 or something, is it?
4: Till 11 uh, p.m. then that night.
2: How would you spend the days?
4: Oh, just... To be honest, i go to the office and like, just try to get through the day
2: just like everybody else out there. And did you have a welfare payment to fund all of that then?
4: Well, it's 200 euro, but... Sure. that fall through your hands.
2: Absolutely, it would fall through your hands. There's seven you know, days and they're all long days.
4: Absolutely. Long if going I see through someb- them. If I see somebody stopped then. I'll pick them up and I'll help them. So you know, you're, you're, I'm going through my own money quicker.
2: And then, would you use the homeless services then for food and clothing?
4: The street angels—they're the only people who deal with. You'd eat. I eat when the street angels are around, or if yeah. they come up to meet me. I don't eat very often, to be quite honest.
2: Yeah, that's probably important with the baby. I mean, are you in, are you in the care of? of uh medics now with the fact that you're pregnant
4: I haven't been out there yet to be honest
2: you've had no scan or you have no checkups no. I'm so anxious and so afraid to go out there no GP no gynecologist nothing like
4: no, that nothing I'm just afraid to go out there because I know the minute I go out there the see are going to be on my back
2: be on your back for the for the safety of your child. Oh, yeah, well, no, absolutely. Look, I, I understand. I, I, won't, I, I, I won't even go down that route, if you like, because, you know, no, those stories are protected I, under the Child Care Act, you know? As much know, for you as your I'm children. I know,
4: I know, yeah. I know. Just saying, you know, it's, it, just
2: scares. it just scares me. You're frightened of the future with a baby I'm, on the way. A baby that you obviously want to keep. Oh, absolutely.
4: Absolutely, and this time I'm looking for treatment, so I know it'll be the maintenance me because I'm a strong person, I have to be strong if I'm still alive at 37.
2: Well here's so the I'll deal, uh, when the baby is born there will be an obligation of the state to mind the baby and that could involve the baby being taken away, you don't want that to happen?
4: No, because but I don't think I'll survive it. No, and it's
2: why, why it's do you not say that? I don't
4: think I know I won't survive it.
2: With regards to a broken heart?
4: And the rest, mate, I don't think I'll survive this. I'll probably end up going away, taking loads of drugs, and, and, and that'll be me gone.
2: Have you had thoughts like that in the past, Lisa? I do. There I do.
4: I, I, I do. I do.
2: They're understandable, sure. I do. Your life was it's not supposed. Your life was not planned like this.
4: No, no, no. I do have to say like that it seems to be easier. Easier
2: to just. Say I've had enough.
4: Enough?
2: No, you have a long life ahead of you. You have an oh, exciting, you have an exciting life ahead of you.
4: With help of God, with help of
2: God Okay, can you hold on there and just relax? I know the street angels are with you, but I just want to just finish our conversation just after ten. Is that all right with you? That's okay. That's no problem. You're great. I'd encourage people to get in touch if they feel they can help in any way, shape, or form. I'll talk to you just after ten. All right.
4: Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, you hang in me.
2: there. Okay, she's with uh, uh, one of the girls from Street Angels next to her, by her side, Hazel Dennehy. Thank you, Hazel. Uh, lads, text 0868104106 if you can give us some direction on this and help. Back after 10.
0: Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Cork's Red FM, officially
2: Ireland's music station of the year. Right, chatting uh, with Lisa, who's at a turning point in her life, and uh, she rejoins me again. Lise. Hi. Are, are, there, other, are there other, have you come <laughs> across other pregnant girls in, in shelters over the years?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever, them. Be-
2: whatever becomes of them? Do they get the help that they need? Do they get provided with somewhere to rear their baby? What happens?
4: What happens is basically when you go out to the hospital, and they, and as I said, when the medics see you, you're referred to the HSC, and they just make it so hard. You know, you could do backflips, you could do handstands for these people, and it's not good enough.
2: So you those know? those that are that are homeless or on our streets that find themselves pregnant and and and, and give birth don't always get to keep their baby.
4: Ninety percent of the ladies on the streets don't always get don't keep their babies. They don't walk out of the hospital with their babies. Somebody else does.
2: I know, but you, I suppose your, your predicament is you, you can't rear your baby on the streets or in a tent at Pope's Key but Church or anything, that. you know? I know that, I know that. I'm quite aware of that. I know, I know you're probably very frightened and scared, but there's something great ahead of you as well if you can stay the course, you know?
4: It's absolutely beautiful, Neil. It can be a beautiful thing.
2: It's not going to be easy not drinking. No. It's, it's 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 not, not going to be easy uh, to withstand the t- the temptation of heroin. But if you can do it, it's going to be amazing. Your life,
4: and, and I know there is another life out there. that have to be. It can't be all about addiction. It can't be all about this. It can't be all about things. You know. I mean, it, to be fair, and Hazel Denny, Paul Amorphie, and Janice Mandy, he, they've been absolutely beautiful to me.
2: They must have come across you at some stage in this tent and and didn't they cobble some money together to get you a and b for a week or so, wasn't it?
4: Oh, yes, they did. They came up and they fed me as well the other day. And last night they fed me. Gave me clothes, gave me wash stuff and, you know.
2: And what's it been like having your own bed and your own room and your own shower?
4: Honestly, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Because I'm not, you know, I'm not used to it.
2: Do you say to yourself, if I can just get strong, it can always be like this, my own room, my own bed, my own shower? Absolutely. That's the challenge now.
4: You know, having a baby is a beautiful thing. It can be magical. I know it can. And I know I'm strong enough to do it if I can just get the help that I need.
2: Do you visualize what your life could be like and hopefully will be like? Do you think about those days ahead?
4: you know what? I I think about in 12 months' time that I'll be walking somewhere with my rookie and my little baby and buggy. I do. I I visualize going to the holidays. I visualize all the things that, you know, that that life should be.
2: So you need to hold on to that thought.
4: That's that's what's getting me through. And
2: And And make it a reality in the future.
4: Exactly And now, as It Jenna, Jenna and Paula Hazel and and Hazel, and them, yeah. Beautifully But
2: well, what will you do After you have to Will you have to leave the B&B At some stage Later this week Or the week When? Tuesday Tuesday A week, a week today Yeah A week today Yeah And then? And then We'll see what happens Let me, let me talk to Susan If you can just hold on Susan good morning Good morning. How similar was your situation to Lisa's?
5: Oh, very similar, very similar. Yeah, yeah. It breaks my heart listening to her this morning. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, Lisa. Hi, oh, Susan. Yeah. Are you okay. Yeah. Oh, I be okay? Yeah. I know. I know. No, I was in very, very, very similar situation. You know, I had kids during care. I was on the streets. I have, but look. If you can hang in there, like, I'll be here. I could support you. I'll give you my number as much as I can. Today, I have a lovely life, you know. I have my kids. Thank you.
2: Okay, well, I, I won't go Robert. into the issues regarding your children, no. obviously, because of no. childcare issues. But but very similar, you say, in the sense that you too were on the streets. Were you on the streets pregnant? No. Okay. No, I wasn't okay. pregnant, no. But you had no. lost everything in your life too.
5: I had to, lost everything, yeah. Everything.
2: How did yeah. you, you turn it Firstly, how did it get so bad?
5: Oh, it just got very bad for me. I was in a different situation, Neil. I was in a domestic violence situation. I had no other choice but to leave home.
2: Oh, you left that? Okay. Yeah, but you yeah. had nowhere to go. Was it Edel House? No, was your port of call, I wonder?
5: At one stage, yeah. At one stage, yeah. I was the same. My husband was very violent. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard and it won't be easy but you can do it. You can do it. I but don't like you know. people.
2: How, did you, how yeah. did you do I mean, did you have issues with heroin or were there addiction issues?
5: Everything, yeah. Everything, heroin. I'm a recovering alcoholic as well, you know. Everything. I went into treatment. I went into Cool Minds and, and my life just took off
2: then. First time in Cool Minds you sorted it?
5: No, it wasn't. I've been in and out of treatment for 20 years trying to get this, like, you know. So if I can get it, you know?
2: And how how come it eventually clicked after twenty years of trying?
5: Um, I never give up. I don't know. I never give up. I thought my children would have been a big factor in it, like they needed me. They needed me. I suppose that would have been a big factor for me. Yeah. So to get them
2: back into your life, you kept on trying to fix your yeah. life.
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: But were there yeah, periods would have
5: of? Would be my motivation. Yeah.
2: Were there periods of? Clearly, would have been periods of homelessness then.
5: Oh yeah. A lot of it. And a lot of times I wanted to give up, I just wanted to get out of it. And a lot of times I tried to get out of it, but you know, it just it was my children, they were the big factor, like.
2: Was it was it homeless on the streets of Cork?
5: Yeah. 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 In and out of homeless hospitals, B and Bs on the streets, yeah. Yeah. So you should
2: be proud you, of yourself. And so, and so will you. And and, and, bear, yeah. and bear in mind how hard Susan tried in spite of, you know, slips and and, and fallbacks. She kept on going. 20
5: years. Slow. There's no such thing as a hopeless case. Like, you know, 20 years I've been trying. You will get there, Lisa. You know, you can get there. You Thank can you. have everything I have today. Like, you know, and... I'm. How sure did you get it all back, number.
1: though?
5: Hard work. Hard work. Slow. It was slow. You know, and sometimes I wanted to give up in even in recovery, but I didn't like, you know, it was slow because if you do the right things, the right things will happen. You know, just to have to hang in there and there is support. Like there is, there's fantastic women's support. Like I'm a woman's woman, like, you know, and I'm, I would be there to support you. There's a lot of, um, if you have a phone, obviously, like there's a fabulous bunch of women and on an NA page.
2: So you used the services as well in the counselling of Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, you went to meetings?
5: Yeah, all of them, yeah. Arbor House, Arbor House is fantastic. There's a pre-entry course there as well to get into Ashley House.
2: Did anybody provide you with somewhere to lay your head, a place to
5: Um, live? Not really, you know, I was homeless up till I went into treatment, you know.
2: I when you came out of treatment the last time and managed to stay clean, where did you go to live?
5: I actually went to the, um, a recovery house in Bishopstown. Yeah, belonged to the Simon. Once you're clean, there's great support there in the Simon community. Fantastic. I actually went in there, I was in there for maybe 18 months. Um, I, started on a, I started working with the Simon community for a year. They're fantastic support.
2: Do you see that happening for Lisa? Of
5: course. Of course, yeah. It's there for her, yeah.
2: But she needs to build up the resolve to fight her demons.
5: She do, and it's going to be hard. You know, there's no one saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be very hard, but she has. Like, I just want to let her know there is support. There is strong women out there, you know, that will support her and help her, you know. But she will have to put in the work herself, you yeah,
2: know. yeah. Think she know, yeah, I think but she, she knows.
5: Sounds that. She wants. Yeah, of course, she wants this. That's why, you know, I wanted to pass on my number. You could hear it. She wants this. She wants a better life.
2: So in difficult times on the journey ahead, women like you will be there for her?
5: Of course. Of course, yeah. Just want to leave her know that. Yeah. Okay. How do you Thank feel you.
2: about that, Lisa? Thank you. Yeah. You you are aware, Susan, that she's three months pregnant?
6: I am.
5: Yeah, I am. And that's Okay. No, Ashley House is fantastic. They take women, um, women and children. When you're pregnant, they will take it. They're great support. Have you
2: have That's you contacts right. there to make that happen?
5: Um, I don't know. I do. I'm still in contact with them. Yeah, but I could make a few phone calls. Yeah, and see what happens. Well, you if, know, well, if you're
2: have... making phone calls and we are, like we're arranging to, but least in touch with Gemma Turner. She's the community drug and alcohol worker with the drugs task force. Fantastic. Um, Should be tr- great With yeah. cu- in Cool Mine. Uh, so like, Neil, sorry,
4: can I go in? Is that the guard that you're on about? Uh,
2: not sure. A, I don't know the no, answer. No, but I'm, right. not,
4: I'm just saying like, they have asked me 20 times a day. 20 30 times a day, the same. They have asked me every day.
2: The guards?
4: It was every day. Searching me, throwing my vodka out, and all I'm trying to do is trying to keep myself warm. 20 to 30 times a day move here go there and I'm like will you tell me where to go will I go the other side of the bridge and they're like no because we're patrolling that as well what are you meant to do where are you meant to go
2: if you can't get back into the night shelter until 11 o'clock at night where are you where would they prefer you to be
5: my point exactly
2: there's nowhere Susan to go by day so there's not
5: no unfortunately and especially with this lockdown I don't think so well, you look, I'd be willing to meet you any day for a cup of coffee, for chat, every day till you get into treatment, if you like. Thank you. It's just, yeah, the
4: God. harassment is crazy often. It, it, it's crazy often. And you wouldn't mind, they're actually well aware of my situation. They're well aware.
2: So no guard has ever said, or, or male or female guard said that you're a, a three-month pregnant homeless girl. We want to be able to help you with something, no?
4: No, they just say you want to go in um, think the baby. And, listen, and I'm like, what, what about me? Will you tell me where I'm meant to go for the day? You know, anytime I walk up the road, they stop, they pull next to me, get out, search me, embarrass me in front of everybody.
2: That's daily. Did you ever have that, Susan? Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 Crazy, Susan,
4: out there. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy out there.
5: Yeah, it's like as if nobody cares,
2: No. know. Yeah, I, I wonder is it that they are trying to keep our streets clean and they're trying to keep our, I suppose, you're no harm to anybody, but, you know, it, it doesn't look great for others then who want to use the city to be surrounded by uh, people with addictions on our streets and on our bridges and things.
5: Yeah, no, but why don't they pick me. up the phone, phone, uh,
4: to try and ring somebody you. for her? Thank you, Susan. That thank you. They don't. All they do is harass. They wanna go in and find people, they're out there raping and murdering, and that's all they're doing. They wanna go out and find some people and leave the homeless alone. Because
2: 'Cause you're an easy vulnerable target, I suppose.
4: Yes, I mean like me, I fell asleep inside the Catholic church the other day, right?
2: Yeah.
4: I woke up, I blitzed vodka because my won't lie and um, this was, what was it, Thursday, um, and I was just asleep inside the Catholic church. I was exhausted, I just needed to sit down because I in before I got into the b and I was going there just to dry my jacket, next to the heater. and then the character coming in and saying, you need to go, and like put this is the church, pouring my foot onto the ground, it's harassment.
2: Were you actually asked by the guards to to take? Were you taken out of the church by the guards?
4: Oh, taking out! I was woke up and told to go.
2: Yeah, and would somebody and I, have reported you for being in the in the uh, in the church?
4: Neil, I was doing nothing. I was just.
2: I own. know, no, I know, but I, I, mean, I mean, I'm just trying to work out whether the guards actually patrol inside churches now, as well as everything else.
4: Well, I tell you, they must be doing nowadays because of it. <laughs> It was just a disgrace We wake up to two guards up over you and they were nothing but nasty. Nothing but nasty. I had a little drop of vodka and it was mixed. It was, only, it was like a little bottle of orange. And she poured it right in front of me. She did? Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. Would they have known that you were a pregnant homeless girl?
4: They know. I, they know they're quite aware. Look, they, they know exactly what's going on. The guards are not stupid people.
2: And that's your reality, like that's your life.
4: That's think every day. I
2: know, I know, I know. No, Gemma has nothing to do with the Gardaí whatsoever. She's one of the care and social leaders that we want you to put, put you mm. in touch with just to start you on your journey. She's a superwoman who's going to take okay. a, an interest in your case. There's has nothing to do with the Gardaí, don't worry about anything like that. And you also have Susan there, but what, what you're going to do when you come out of B&B, that's another issue that we need to look at fairly rapid, don't we? Absolutely. And listen, a
4: couple of weeks in a a treatment centre won't do me. I'm an addiction so long. I need two years in a treatment. I need to get out of Cork City because I know too many people. You you know what I'm on about. Yeah. When you know too many people, it's very easy to slip back in. It's easy to pass, say, hi guys, how are you? All right, have a camera with you there? And then before you know
2: it. You're fucked again. Yeah. He's my friend. That's right. The can, the can leads to another one and then all sorts of other temptations. Did know. you find that, Susan?
5: Yeah, 100%. I definitely think Ashley House would be the place, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and,
2: and um, do you think that a lot of it has to do with, unfortunately, the company you were keeping then, Susan? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
5: More or less. I found that company, you know.
2: You sought I it out.
5: Yeah, yeah. You do like
4: Because, it. can I tell you something? I've met the most beautiful people on the streets yeah, you wouldn't believe it. The most beautiful people—they have their own stories, and they have—I mean, these people that I—I I, could—I could write a book at thirty-seven.
2: At thirty-seven, a book with the people you have met through your life.
4: Absolutely, do you know what I met? Most beautiful people on the streets.
2: All with different stories as to how they ended up in that situation.
4: That's what we we sit there together when we talk about it. We cry, we laugh, we hug each other, we give out to each other. But we mind each other.
2: Would a lot of the conversations when we look at homeless people gathered, is that what you're chatting about a lot of the time? How you got there?
4: All the time. We laugh, we cry.
2: Comparing stories
4: you know like if if one guy or if one lady is having a bad day then I'll give her a hug I'll give him a hug if I'm having a bad day if I'm crying I'll get a hug you know we're not bad people
2: and how do you all feel then when you see everybody else going on with their life to and froing like you're invisible
4: do you know what they just look at us as if we're dirt as if we're dirt and if they only knew we're actually beautiful people Okay. Okay.
2: yeah Okay, Susan, um, can I give her your phone number? Of course, okay. of course, And yeah. can, we get, can we get working with everything else for you, Lisa, on your behalf, notwithstanding that you need to do most of the heavy lifting on this yourself, yeah?
4: That's, that's fair enough. Okay. Look, I'm willing to put the work in. I'm willing to give it 110%. Okay. Okay.
2: okay. And in the coming days and week or two, can, can I come back and chat with you again?
4: You can, of course. You can, of course. You're more than welcome.
2: All right. Okay. And you too, Susan, all right? So both of you do stay on hold here and we'll chat again, all right? Okay, no worries. Thank you. Okay, okay. all right. Well, okay, things will only get better, but a lot of it has to do with Lisa's resolve for change. Your thoughts on that? are welcome. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on 1-850-104-106. I just want to get a, um, a, a better idea as to where Lisa's going to be when the money for the bed and breakfast runs out. There's, there's a weekend that and whether or not that can dovetail into treatment. I'm not 100% sure whether that can happen. It may well be able to happen that she can go from there into the first steps of, uh, of, uh, treatment and, and residential care in that regard. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104
0: 106.
2: Red FM. I think that, uh, case that I referred to earlier on this morning of the, uh, supposedly homeless couple on the streets is a very interesting insight into maybe a typical day with regards to guardy on the beat, uh, on Lee Side, because this was the case of, um, 8,800 euro in cash transfer from Ireland to Romania in the past couple of months by a Romanian couple. They claimed that they were living on the streets outside. I think they were saying that it was um, uh, on Pope's I outside the church on, on Pope's uh, But the guards came upon them um, and uh, they had a very interesting back and forth with them by all accounts. Why? Well, they were actually before the courts um, for a charge of um, stealing 60 euro in cash from a student at an ATM on Patrick Street. Um, so you can see the issues on our streets that lead to criminality and harassment of people going about their their daily business, and that's what the guard are, are trying to, to clamp down on, and that's what needs to be cleaned up if we ever want people to be living amongst us in the city and rearing families in the city. Something needs to be done to to stop the kind of carry on. There was uh, the story went that um, they approached this character, approached a student asking for money. Uh, the student said he didn't have any any change, but they persisted. This couple. Uh, and they asked him for 33 euro for a bus to Dublin. Um, he complied out of fear and he complied out of intimidation. And he gave them, this is a student now, right? Jungfella. He gave them 40 euro. And then they said they wanted to buy another ticket. Uh, again, about this business, about a ticket for the bus to Dublin. So he misfortune, he went to his ATM. He could only get 20 euro out of the ATM and he gave it to them out of fear and intimidation. So the total there was 60 euro, um, charged with stealing 60 euro in cash from this student at the ATM on Patrick Street. So that's why they were before the courts. Um, I think they were up before, uh, Olin Keller, if I remember correctly. Uh, bail was refused and the, and the, case is ongoing. They've been remanded now until uh, the, the, uh, until the end of this month, until tomorrow, actually. Um, but amongst the toing and froing with the guardie, um, they looked at the mobile phone of one of the Romanians, and it showed large amounts of um, pictures of money receipts, 15 money receipts, 15 of them. Um, money, cash being sent back, wire transfers and what have you, back home to Romania. It totaled 8,800 euro, and it was transferred between the 17th of February and the 24th of March. Um, so an incredible amount of money for a couple who claimed to be living on the streets of Cork, but yet approaching a young student, harassing them for money. And out of that poor young flood of fear, they got 60 euros. So how much of that is going on? you got to ask the question. I pass it on uh, for what it's worth. Um, morning to everybody who's been texting on one zero four one zero six. Tell that girl she needs to try and get to St. Francis Farm Treatment Centre in Carlo. I've worked in addiction for a number of years. And in my opinion, it's the best and most successful treatment centre. Wishing her all the success in the world. St. Francis Farm Treatment Centre in Carlo. Might get an opportunity maybe to talk to that treatment centre on the air in the coming days. That lady said hash was a gateway drug. I've been smoking myself for years and wouldn't drink as I think drink is the gateway drug I smoked hash uh, but I would never do any more well all I can say to that is there for the grace of God go you what works for one won't work for another and vice versa don't want to come on air but I have a family member uh, addicted to alcohol and weed Tabor Lodge took them within five days I don't know if it was because he had VHI and health insurance but it was so quick could well have been As much as I feel for Lisa and the sad life she had, what about the poor kids that were born addicts? My friend fostered a newborn seven years ago who was born an addict and tortured and it tortured the baby. And it was also torture watching the baby suffering. It was heartbreaking. To this day, the baby and the child still suffers. My sympathies lie with the kids. Uh, Isn't our first child? Can't talk. Uh, Here we are. Can we just not be judgmental really? Can we just look at... Somebody is a fellow human being that's looking for help and reaching out a hand without playing this blame game that we all do so often. <laughs> that's just my own thought and interpretation of that text. But anyway, Lee, let me just talk to Hazel Denny from Street Angels. Hazel, good morning.
7: Good morning, Neil. How and, are
2: you doing? And can I say on behalf of those that care, thank you for making a difference in Lisa's life. I hope it's not temporary. Where are you at with the future for her?
7: Um, I have just secured um, another maybe week and a half more in the B&B because a donation came in this morning. I have I I have I just you know the way you get notifications. Yes. And but um, we're going to make sure until we can get her a long term solution that she's not going to go back on the street. That I can
2: promise. So what would happen then after say another fortnight in a and b would she move then to some kind of rehab or treatment?
7: Well I'm hoping to go in with her tomorrow to the APS and see can they do something? And does preg-
2: does being pregnant not expedite things in the sense of making it faster uh, her path to recovery? I
7: actually think it should because at the end of the day, I'm a mother, and without being on the streets, pregnancy in itself is enough stress in one's life. But to you- have to deal with what for Lisa has to go through. You know, um I know Lisa for a long time and um we we love her to bits and I spent a few hours the other day with her and I took her out for a bite to eat. And you know, um she, she genu- she's a genuine lady yeah. and you can hear that in her face now. I know she was nervous
2: talking oh no so. she i mean listen it's not the um, easiest thing in the world to you know talk about not. your life situation like she like does that
7: now i'm the same
2: <laughs> i know i know,
7: I know. But, um, but look if it if it gets the point across to people these are human beings as you pass them they deserve the respect that you would expect from somebody passing you to say good morning.
2: Now, there are laws against um, drinking on our streets or, you know,
7: That's right. You know,
2: vagrancy on our streets. You, you accept that to an extent the guards are just doing their job. Now, I'm, I'm not so sure about going into a church. What are your thoughts on that?
7: That now, I think, is stepping over the mark because a church is the sanctity of God right, and i I didn't think, well, looking back on the programs, you know where if you you read sanction in a church, they yeah. can arrest you or they can well i
2: I don't know, maybe the priest called the guards i don't know,
7: yeah, you know, do you know, and I mean that's hypocritical, like here's a girl, and very vulnerable, as most women are when they have to stay on the street.
2: And do you come across many women who would be homeless on our streets, pregnant?
7: Um, I've come across about three and I um, got help for one and I actually got her reunited with her parents in Dublin. I kind of was a mediator in that situation. Yes. yes. And um, we got her reunited and as I said to him, look, all you can do is one day at a time. Because, you know, take it one day at a time, and now she's, she has her own place, and she has two kids, and she's never been happier, and she keeps sending me a Christmas card, thanking me that must her be her.
2: that must be a lovely thing so a lovely sense of achievement yeah you know, you, have you noticed as well that those upon our streets would appear to be younger than ever before
7: way younger we were out last night outside the savoy as we, we will be every monday night and do you know they're younger and younger and a lot of them are coming out of foster care when they're 18 and not knowing they had secure maybe for years. And then, for one reason or another, they're out of the foster care home, don't know what to do, and it's heartbreaking because...
2: Are they literally told at 18, you're on your own now, is it?
7: A lot of them are, unfortunately, and that's why they meet up with these nice... They meet up with the other people, and they... Say, Come on with us. We look after you. And I'm sorry, I, I don't want to be rude now, but they're just fresh meat to guys. The women are anyway.
2: Fresh meat um, to dealers, is it?
7: Yeah, because they prey on them and get them to do all sorts, you know. And that's what I'd love to stop. But I don't know, is it possible? But so I that
2: all know. sorts would that involve? Dealing themselves, obviously, using would it involve test, well, prostitution? Them,
7: they them on, they, yeah, they get them hooked on everything. And, you know, um, it's not right. It's just not right. And I really do feel strongly, you know, and we do our best. I support them. I'm there 24 7. They can ring me at any hour if they're low or anything. And as they have done. You know?
2: And um, are you aware of an increase? I've, I've been hearing this from the likes of Mary Crilly and uh, Katrina Toomey's been saying it as well that homeless girls are vulnerable to sexual attack and rape.
7: Very much so. And that's why I'm saying these young people that just come on the street, um, they are just ready, they're innocent. They have no idea of what to expect, and right, they look after them for a week or two, and they say, "This this is grand," and then it all starts, you know, praying and look. I have a friend here, and he'll be nice to you. And
2: before you know it, you're 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 being sex trafficked.
7: And um, you know, and my long-term goal for Street Angels is open, you know, people like that coming out from foster care, coming out to okay. jail. They, I think, if you we could get them into an education program, an education, I think, would be the main okay. reason to change their lives and and set up a program for, as I call it, a step down to step out into society and
2: why do you do what you do um did you go did you have a similar life yourself at one stage is is, is,
7: no no? i was blessed thank god okay my best friend died and they had the best of family they we tried everything Mm -hmm. and it affected me very bad 10 years ago yeah and um From there, I just went in as a volunteer. I worked with all the groups. I was with Christine Chambers. I was with the Helping Hands. Now they're the Homeless Help and Support. Yes. I was with Saturday Night Drive. And then they always called me the street angel. If you want something, ask cable. And... I um, got the, my husband. Then said to me, Michael, Hazel. Do you know what we'll do? We'll call ourselves Street Angels. things, that's what you're known to them as.
2: But does it frustrate you? Frustrate you that in spite of all of the different groups and volunteers, and they do make a huge difference. Don't get me wrong. Where would people be without them? But the things just appear, just appear to be getting worse, not better.
7: That yeah, that's exactly. You hit the nail in the head because. It doesn't seem to get any easier, and it's more and more, and they're craving more help. Now, don't I have um, gotten a lot of the guys into I work side by side with a rehab in Tipperary, it's a re, it's Remark recovery home.
2: But is there enough rehab? No. Yeah.
7: And there's not enough for women. Now, REMAR are in the process of trying to set up a re- rehab in Dublin for women. Because there's not enough for women. And I, I I know men can look after themselves, but I don't believe... And I know I'm a woman. But <laughs> well, I don't believe any woman should have... the sleep on the street. Oh, I know.
2: Never mind a pregnant oh, woman.
7: Because yeah. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when um, I, when Lisa told me, I said, no way. Like, there was another... Do you remember Tentville, was it, last year? Down in Maradike? Yeah. you done a story. Yeah. There was another pregnant lady there. And as soon as I heard, I'd done everything in my power... But she was not going to spend another night in that tent.
2: And without, without you know, invading her privacy too much, is she in a better place now?
7: She is. She is. Thank okay. God.
2: Okay. And do you she think is, you can make yeah. a difference for Lisa after, after well, the bed? And bra- yeah.
7: I, uh, I, I will give it hundred and twenty percent because I won't stop until I can get um, connected with. Now, if we can get the treatment, to go undergoing. While she's in treatment, I'll be working in the background and I'll try and join up with other organizations. Like I got a message from a lady, Skyna... That's
2: okay, I don't need to know her name, just the message is fine. No,
7: no, no, this isn't her name, this is the organization, Care, And that they said that they'd love to work with Lisa and they'd, they'd take over all her medical look after her medical assessments and Cause would it, good,
2: Well, that's good to you, because she does need care for the for the she baby does. inside her. And like, would it be the case that some women...
7: That, message are paid.
2: Good, okay, so we're, we're, we're that's... That, that's. So if
7: anyone does want to help, they can, you know, uh, financially or anything, because anything I get goes directly to those in need. Um, they can do it through our pay, PayPal account, which is Three Angel's, Cork at gmail.com
2: Okay, street Angel Cork at gmail.com account. they can get in touch with you there. And are you doing an Easter egg appeal for whom?
7: We're doing an Easter egg appeal. This year we are going to go um, to give to our homeless to give to the um, which I think is lovely is the old folks that we wrap up hopefully uh, one of my members have ordered a bunny out or an Easter bunny outfit, and we're going to go to the nursing homes and give them to all the members in in all all of Cork City and County.
2: So, okay, the nursing homes is a fantastic idea, but an added bonus to all of this, probably more than the nursing homes, if I'm to be absolutely honest, is that anybody on the streets will get an Easter egg.
7: Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly it. And and how can
2: people help in that regard?
7: Um, now uh, they can contact the page because we have members all over the city that can pick them up if they want to donate. Right?
2: Okay. Well, you hold on there. I'll I, I tell you what. I am going to move on and, and I am going to put you on hold, and you can give the lads here the details of how people can get in touch if they want to uh, g- give funding sure. or if they want to to um, to get involved in the Easter Egg Appeal. Is that all right with you? Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. So you are you are you are an angel. You are an angel on Lisa's shoulder now, which is great. Super stuff.
7: Well, I hope I'd
2: be anyway. All right. Okay. Thank you for taking the call, Hazel. We'll be back to you. So she's also working on Lisa's behalf, bearing in mind that much of this is down to who? Lisa herself. Owen, good morning. Hang on a second. Let me get my phone lines right here. Owen, my apologies. Thank you for holding. Um, You wanted to get involved in this conversation. Go ahead.
1: Hello, Neil. How's it going? Good, good, good. Just, uh, just to make the point there, I'd have to agree very much with everything the last speaker said. But, you know, a lot of what she said couldn't be said by a man. I think women, you know, to be perceived as sexism, I do feel that women in this situation meet different bar- barriers and hurdles and difficulties that men would never meet, you know, around sex-pesting and all the rest of that. But what I'd have to say is that the treatment centres are too short today. For somebody like Lisa, in her scenario, a 28-day programme coming out of Tabor Lodge and being told, you're grand, you can go to the pub now, but just drink orange. That's not the way she can live her life. She uh, She needs constant attention for the next several months and afterwards she'd need a sober living house she would a program to reinstitute her into society, retrain her, get a job and Minnesota there's a they I know, working in Minnesota in a similar problem. They've dealt very well with this. But people have to realise the devastation that we see every day on our streets by the he- heroin epidemic, yes. it'll have to be dealt with. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary. Dealt Elio dealt Byrne,
2: the, the journalist yesterday on the air, was making the point. I'm paraphrasing what she was saying about Micheál Martin being able to find, incidentally, what Micheál Martin was talking about last week, the 480 million. Simon Coveney gave the same press release two years ago. We need to remember that. But if they can find 480 million to rejuvenate the city, why can't some of that, or a proportion of that, go into serious rehab? Serious rehab now, once and for all. It'll,
1: it'll have to be, needed. They'll have to build large rehab centres. They'll have to build large swaths of social housing around them, providing daycare for children so that mothers can retrain for industry
2: and become taxpayers. Have you helped and people it- then in situations like Lisa's?
1: Yes, there's an awful lot of people all across the city helping people like these, and not just penny dinners and the different things you've mentioned, but, you know, different Catholics. And why do you want to help? I'd like to see a societal change, like Neil, the city we grew up in, you know, like just... The Cork drug scene when we grew up was two fellas in the Phoenix here in the joint, right? Yeah,
2: but you're, you're spot and on there, yeah. It's and, to- and there was a handful of homeless no elderly no. fellas around the city. And That's it. Were, this, we're, this epidemic of degradation
1: and pitiful life destroying. The guards are going to have to do something and senseless. There's a whole load of, starting with the guards and finishing with social care. It has to change. It has to change. And if, as you say, if the com- country can come up with 400 million for this, they can come up with
2: 4 million to put an end to it. And without dwelling on your own backstory, but are you coming from a story of similarity in any sense? No, thank God. Okay. No,
1: Go thank God. But, you know, like I said, if if I was far years younger and I was growing up in all this who knows who knows is to right yeah, yeah, too much finger pointing and not enough help that's what's happening now in New City at the moment and we need treatment centres
2: you, you referred to, to centres off the air with uh, either with with Emer, I think where you said that, that, that we do have hotels who have been designated as places where the homeless can stay is that right?
1: there are there are there is Uh, resources become available due to the lack of tourists but these locations aren't equipped to deal with the suffering alcoholic or the suffering addict you know what I mean some chambermaid or a receptionist they wouldn't be on par with a psychologist or a counsellor and that kind of stuff you know
2: so within, within these hotels then is there substance use also, also but it's nationwide
1: you might remember there earlier in the year in one of the similar hotels up the country people who'd bought drugs online all died
2: oh yes I do remember a
1: story like that yeah Yeah. yeah. now and there's certain locations and I'm sure the nearby residents of these locations certainly don't want me to wear it and what actually happens is when these locations become known dealers target them like there was there's a fella, he's actually in jail, no, thank God. But he used to actually target people queuing up on the North Main Street as a to they're collecting their methadone and he used to target them to sell them heroin. I mean the guards need more resources. Can't say drugs like heroin and that, you know, people need to go to jail for longer, and right, if we have to build more prisons to protect our society it'd be a good thing.
2: Is that for the dealers we or sure. the u- is that for the dealers or the users? Because a lot of the time, they're oh, the same no, thing.
1: Oh no, for the dealers,
2: for the dealers. But you are a lot of the time I'm the misfortune. occurs. But you know the fellas narco. that the fellows that are dealing a lot of the time they are either in addiction themselves or they're 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 carrying drug debt, aren't they?
1: Well, look, I'm talking about narco traffickers. You know, somebody's big guys. By, yeah, I mean, there's there's somebody somewhere. Making hundreds of millions off of this. Way up the food chain, though. Way up the food chain. And there's. I don't think they're living in the areas where they're devastating at all. You Not
2: know, even you in the same country, to... a lot of time, when you trace it back. Yeah,
1: you're, you're looking at fellas there, and their whole life is destroyed off it, and I don't think they're the main source of the problem at all. But anyway, look. Yeah. We yeah. definitely need larger treatment centres. We need aftercare programs that will keep people in and it'll pay for itself. Okay. I sincerely believe that every heroin addict is a crime wave. And if you went to any guard station in the country and you got the list of the five most prolific burglars or thieves that they would be heroin addicts and if Every guard station in the country could put those five people into a treatment center for two years that crime would drop down almost zero nationwide.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would not pay for itself now.
2: Yeah. But, but right now, some of the establishments and hotels that are being used, you describe them as being party zones, really, for people just to party, take that's drugs. That's the and
1: way them. it's gone, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the way it's gone. And as long as people continue to provide money into the cups on Patrick Street, that money will continue to filter its way back to Dubai for people living the billionaire lifestyle and. That, that's where it's going, like yeah. 'tisn't you know, the average guy sitting on the corner of Patrick Street around the bridge or in the back of one of these homeless hostels inebriated. They're they're not driving the Ferries at all. Yeah, I know. Like when you've giving them money yeah. it's been used for drugs and it's going back to going back to those people. You know, that's the reality of it. Right?
2: And it's a fascinating reality, a story and a picture that you paint. Thank you for that, Owen. Cheers. Thanks for the no contribution. Cheers, Stay in touch. It's amazing. Back after the break on 1-850-104-106.
0: Text the Neil Brenderville Show now.
2: 086-8104-106. RED-FM. And these are tweets that are into the program this morning from our Twitter page. Lisa, listening to you fight for the sake of your children, they deserve a healthy mother. Make them proud. Get all the help it takes. Let them in foster care until you're ready to be a decent mother. It sounds like you are ready. I wish you luck. You can do this. Women are strong warriors. Uh, And just another few here. Listening to this girl, is this her first child? No. No. I support the, I support, support the homeless. I contribute every month. I would like to help her if there's any way I can. Thank you for that. Uh, We'll put you in touch. I'm sure all of those people that are opposed to refugees coming over here and say we must look after our own will be ready to offer help to this poor girl. Uh, Another one, if you suffer from addiction, it doesn't matter where you move to. It's called a geographical relocation. Wherever you go, your head and addiction will travel with you, unfortunately, says Anthony. Uh, It's all about the women this morning, isn't it, Neil? Sure, men don't suffer any problems at all. Lisa is where she is because of her choices she made in her life. Sick of the show today, Neil. Sorry to hear that you're sick of it. Uh, I think it's important and uh, I think that uh, there are stories that need telling. And we need to stop the blame game, you know. We need to stop the finger pointing. That's just getting worse. Uh, you are where you are and it's your own fault. Um, you know, where's where's kindness gone in all of this? Some of the comments regarding that that uh, lady's case are sickening to read. Uh, obviously, this is somebody who's seeing this playing out on social media as well as live on air with me. Lisa knows all the correct steps she needs to take. Uh, lose old friends, get out of Cork. Why are people so quick to judge? I hope she gets the help she needs. Um, Colin Tobin of Tobin's Granite Braher is very good for giving street angels hot dinners every Monday night. He deserves a shout out. That's not the first time I've heard of the charitable deeds of Colin Tobin and Tobin's Granit I have to tell you. Uh, hi Neil, one of my first jobs when I came back from London 25 years ago was to put locks in the confession boxes in the city churches. Why? Because of the amount of human excrement, drink bottles, needles left inside them from people who have no respect for nothing. Unfortunately, the misfortunes who do that have very little respect for themselves also because of the situation they find themselves in. They are literally hiding and seeking out corners anywhere uh, to literally service their addictions uh, and I understand that it's an awful thing to behold human excrement or drink bottles or needles left inside in a confession box. Like it is bad to see it on the steps of, um, you know, a multi story car park or in broad daylight or down a, God knows we've all seen the videos. Of people shooting up down alleyways and side side streets and what have you, but we are where we're at. Where this is this is the reality of it. And I think it's a very interesting point that's made that all of this money that is given, you know, to people on their streets, by and large, that is used to feed the habit, and they continue to buy their substance of abuse, and that is just feeding up the food chain. Point was made that you don't see any of the people on our streets driving the Ferraris. It's the men and the women at the top of the food chain who aren't used with themselves, who live the um, super wealthy lifestyle. So keep those texts coming. Text 868 Pick up the phone on one 850 Can I just say, just on a personal note, because this is happening for me today, I got a phone call yesterday from the oncology department at the Mercy Hospital to tell me that I've been booked in for a vaccine this afternoon. And I have to say, I was absolutely shocked to hear it. And I said to them, like, I have a, a blood disorder uh, that needs ongoing monitoring. It's, it's fine now and, and they keep a handle on it, but it could become a, a bigger problem in, in, in time to come. So I, I kind of have it on the back burner all of my life. I just get on with my life. It's something that I just, I just deal with, but it's an oncology issue that I have. Um, and apparently, uh, I got a call yesterday saying you are due a vaccination tomorrow at Parkview, and I said, "No, I'm okay. You need to give it to somebody who's more deserving. I don't need the vaccine. I'm flying." They said, "No, you're not. You're you're at risk. You're in the at risk category." Now that came, it came as a real disappointment to me. If I'm to be absolutely honest, and I, I was thinking about it yesterday afternoon and and last night as well, because I was firstly shocked, you know, that oh my god, really, I'm at risk, and because I, I had never thought that. This disorder, the position I find myself in with medical issues, actually was that big a deal. But apparently it is when it comes to COVID. So I've been here for a year thinking, oh, I'm powering along through this and you know, not realizing that actually I'm, I'm at risk. I'm an at-risk group. So I was disappointed about that. I have to, if I'm to be absolutely honest about it, I was disappointed to find that I was in the at-risk group. Because I think being in it now, I can say, because it, it's something that I'm going through, that no one wants to be in an at-risk car- uh, category. Um, and I, I was disappointed because I didn't know, um, and I had to be told that I actually was. So I was maybe quite self-conscious of my own situation, but we are where we're at. Um, I'll let you know how it goes today. Uh, it's around about half past two. Uh, down in 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 Parky Quay. Don't even know what kind of vaccination I'm getting, but apparently it needs to be done. And I pass it on for what it's worth. Back after eleven on oh four one oh six.
1: I'm Lano O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking
4: on redfm.ie.
0: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prindeville now. 1850-104-106. Red
2: FM. On our city, actually, particularly with regards to my conversation yesterday with Elio Byrne, this is an observation, Neil, not a whinge. Walking through the city yesterday, it was quiet due to the weather. That was would have been the wet day, the wet weekend, I suppose. We were in there probably on Sunday. I noticed that the place is becoming very shabby looking. I saw shops with dirty doorways, dirty windows, mail piled up inside the doors of... Closed shops and businesses, and even doorways being used as toilets. It, I found it my trip in the city so sad and disheartening. I also saw a for auction sign uh, at the uh, at at, the, at houses and shops, particularly in and around Patrick Street and Winthrop Street. Um, and many of them, the shops that would have been functioning in the past, have been cleared out and gutted for auction signs on them. So that was a sad trip that you had on Sunday. And then. Big response uh, to issues involving uh, marital breakups and, uh, you know, access to children. A lot of emails that I had hoped to read out on the air this morning. I'm, I'm not sure how many of them I will get to read today, but I, I certainly will i come back to them tomorrow with regards to people who've gone through breakups uh, and have had issues now with their ex-partners with regards to visitation and rights. And lots of texts on it as well. Just a, just a few of them. And after the ad break, I'll chat with Gareth Callan. Uh, the court orders are useless, Neil. My ex constantly used the kids as weapons. I wasted a lot of time in and out of court and I got absolutely nowhere. I have a court order, but I don't even get to see my kids. And yes, I still pay the maintenance and I still pay the mortgage. Another one. I have a similar problem with child access. I too went to court. I got guardianship and an access court order to see my child. I got overnight access too. I have a new partner with the last year and a half. Since I moved in with her, my ex is stopping access to my child because she doesn't want her staying at my new address with my partner. My child has met my partner numerous times and she's had a child from a previous relationship, and they get on great. Do I have to go back to court for this again? Well, I think you know the answer to that. I'm sorry now, but the judges do not take it seriously enough. Going to court can cost up to €10,000. People can't afford that. Most of the time, the judge will give custody to both parents, but visitation is then at the discretion of the mother. She can just refuse access to the children and there is nothing you can do. I know someone who went to court and the judge refused to even set out visitation. The judge said, you're both adults, you can figure it out yourself. The reason they were in court was for access in the first place, for God's sake. Morning, the system is an absolute joke. The only winners, time after time are the solicitors. Uh, The real issue here, Neil, is that there are no consequences for mothers, even when they break court orders. But if the man breaks them, he'll be jailed. Like, with regards to, say, maintenance. That's the real issue. My advice to the man's email is to cut the mother out of the picture as soon as possible and use just technology to communicate directly with the kids. I suppose you're saying try and have a relationship with your kids on mobile phones, smartphones and tablets. It's not really the same, is it? And there are reams of those in emails as well. And and some of the emails are are quite detailed and, and devastating. By and large, I have to say, from dads from dads. So we'll come back to all of that back after the break.
0: Talk to Neil printerville now. 1851-04106. Red
2: FM. And you can text 868 104 and uh, also contact us by email neil at uh, redfm.ie and I'll come back to your calls and comments. But um, I read Gareth O'Callaghan's new book having followed up on read his, his last book A Day Called Hope. Uh, some time back he's got a brand new book out called What Matters Now and it's um, uh, it's a no hold bar barred book actually he he doesn't hold back with regards to his own life and you know where he finds himself at right now and he joins me by phone Gareth good morning morning Neil how are you I'm well um, always love our little chats and people do listening as well Likewise. so thank you for taking the time just just before I look at the book um, how have you been um, with regards to your neurological disorder and disease is, is it progressing or have you managed to stall it or where are you at
6: uh, it's progressing um certainly the pain is an awful lot worse um i'm finding mobility is a little bit more of a challenge but that's that said i, I kind of um I, I also look on the other the, the the bright side and i say that i'm trying this new hydrogen molecular hydrogen treatment and that is definitely helping this is where i um I have one of these um, hydrogen generators, which which is frontline medicine in Japan, South Korea. It's, it's unheard of here. And uh, I've been using that now for the last couple of months, and I tend to use it during the night. I'm talking like three, four, five in the morning when I can't sleep because of the pain. Um, and I literally just lie there with a cannula on, inhaling this in bed, propped up against the pillows, um, and I've become a bit of an expert now on classical music as a result. But it's, it helps. But I, I, it, I, I don't know whether it will help to the extent that it will slow it down yeah. or whether it's simply just a kind of a form of anesthetic,
2: you know. Is it just pain management or is it slowing the progression? You don't know. It's an awful illness in that regard, isn't it? It's a creeping one.
6: Yeah, they call it the beast. They don't call it the beast for nothing. It's a it's a it's a horrendous illness. It just keeps taking and taking and taking and for anybody who's never heard of it, it's somewhere between uh Parkinson's and motor neuron disease. So it would have many of the characteristics and symptoms of both of those certainly towards the later stages of multiple system atrophy. It's very similar to the end stages of motor neuron disease. So the central nervous system is literally breaking down. In some people, it breaks down at a faster level. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely beginning to feel the, the effects of it now throughout. Like I think the last time I spoke to you, um, it was definitely a kind of, um, it, it was, it was as it were, it, it was containing itself within the neck and i suppose the legs but now i can feel it right here to my fingertips and my toes and that so it's 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 really reaching right out to the extremities now and causing a lot of discomfort
2: and do do you know whether this was something genetic or that you were born with or is it as a result of your life path or or, or, or you know or what
6: well, see, this is there's a lot of research going on. See, the the, the whole genetic thing. Um, they they tend to one of the reasons they 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 um, they rule out Parkinson's is because Parkinson's is hereditary. That if you look back through different stages of the generations in a family, if there's Parkinson's there, there's a possibility that for someone in a generation to come might also develop it. Yeah. But with this this is such a bizarre illness it's probably one of the most unknown, less little known illnesses out there and um, what what I I've been doing a lot of research on it and what I have discovered as a result of scientific stuff that's there already is that extreme acute trauma at an early stage of life unless it's dealt with and unless it, 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 as it were, is taken out of the way of progressing into life, particularly during childhood, can lead in later life to different disorders. It can lead to cancer. It can lead to um, arthritis. And then it can lead to some of the much bigger neurological illnesses. This is what the scientists are now beginning to believe because they have researched this. And And it's certainly looking that
2: way. And it, I mean, if, you don't have to answer any of these questions if you, if you don't, don't wish That's to, but great. I'm just re- referencing the book. The trauma that you're referring to, would that have been the sexual abuse that you suffered at the hands of a cleric as a child?
6: Yes, most likely it would have. Been, it certainly would have been the beginning. I think, because prior to that, um, I had a very, very normal, very happy childhood. Now, I was always a bit of a loner, um, as, as a lot of people will say. I was. I was just one of those kids who never really fit in. I had a very happy childhood. Um, I, I had wonderful parents. And God bless my mother. She's still alive. She's nearly 90. Um, but the, the, uh, yes, definitely at that point where the abuse took place at the age of 11, um, that was where my <clears throat> dreamy little childhood world, which is a world as all children look back on and prefer to remember a dreamy, imaginative um, creative place where you're beginning to learn about things where you you still have a very perfect view of the world that really mm. there's no past and there's not really any future at that stage mm. either because everything exists within this beautiful day mm. and then unfortunately in the case of abuse it's almost like. It, the predator comes along with a sledgehammer, and this gorgeous little world, this space and time, it, it just it, it, it evaporates. It, it just explodes into, into itself, and you're basically left frozen in time. Uh, part of you becomes literally like a block of ice. You can't move on. Um, while... The, the, while the rest of you develops and you, you finish out school, you finish whatever you're doing, you get a job, you get married, you, you move through life, some people just don't get beyond that stage. Some people, as a result of abuse, drop out, fall into drug abuse, addictions, the crime. I, I suppose I was very lucky in that that didn't happen me. But I do know now, looking back, um, and I'm looking back now 50 years almost that definitely I would, I would literally definitely put money on it that in a few years' time scientists will say yes. That way back then is very much directly related to what is happening to me now.
2: And is that um, the first time that you spoke of that? Was it in the book?
6: Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, because this is only recent science um this is This is something that really only has kind of come to the fore in the last five, six years. but had you five, spoken
2: six. about that abusive episode because in the book it was very devious the the, the carry on of yes. this this character and it was repetitive and unfortunately, you were sent back to this place on a number of occasions and it and it repeated and, and in later life, you revisited the scene of the horrible things that happened to you and and people will read that in the book. But is this the first time you've spoken publicly about that abuse? Yes. Yeah. Um, I I
6: referred to it vaguely in uh, A Day Called Hope, but I I didn't go into the detail. And the reason I wanted to go into the detail here was because I think while in in terms of my life as such, I I celebrated my 60th birthday on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, When I look back, um, it was always there, lurking in the background. And no matter how much effort I put into trying to exercise this and to try to move beyond it and to try to actually, ah, um, uh, just to try to see, you can't remove it from your life because it, it it has become indelibly marked within your entire psyche, but within your entire makeup it's 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 almost like um it it becomes a part of who you are even though it doesn't directly impinge on your daily activity and that it it's it's always there no matter how hard you work on it
2: there are um many, many stories to your life that people will not have known anything about. Of course, there's that one, which was devastating, and you speak of the consequences of it years, years later. But, you know, you know your your earlier life, your, your love of music, your, your work within within the pirates, it's so typical of many of us who followed the radio career, and we tried other jobs, you know, you, you tried insurance, and incidentally, you were working as a young fool in Switzer's in Dublin while I was working as a young fool in Cashes in Cork, both of us doing pirate radio <laughs> at the same time for, for a there company that owned both shops. That was incredible, that's, I thought. Oh,
6: what, what that, that is, that, that's, that's, that's uncanny. Isn't it? That, isn't
2: that crazy, yeah. And then there's the lovely story about, about. I mean, there was nothing but niceness in Larry Gogan. So that's a beautiful story of your start in 2FM and things like that, isn't it?
6: Larry was, uh, you know, Larry was in. A, Larry was a one-off. You know, I mean, when they made the the, the, the prototype, uh, they, they threw they threw it away. There was never going to be another Larry. And when I was fifteen, as you say, um, I was hooked on Radio Luxembourg, as many of us at a certain age would have been. And then Radio Waren, as it was known, people I think under the age of. of, of 35 or 40 would never have heard that expression, but but they decided to try to get their act together and they, they decided to expand into popular music programming and during this wonderful summer of 1976, it was one of the hottest on record. I was 15, and I, I, I all I, I loved music. Music was it, it, it was my comfort zone, and uh, I, I lived in this world of music, and I lived in the world of DJs like Peter Powell and Benny Brown, and yeah. you know all of these guys on Luxembourg. And then I heard this. There was going to be a pop music program in the afternoon of the summer on VHF. They were going to split their frequencies, RTE. And I rang RTE one day. My parents were out, and I picked up the phone in the hall, just off the hall table. And you'll remember dialing the number in the clockwise direction. And RTE answered, and a charming woman who I later ended up working with, Laura, a wonderful woman. I said, could you could you put me on to somebody who can tell me how I can become a DJ? And there was a moment silence and she says, oh, well, hold on now and no, I'll transfer you. So with that phone number, the phone was transferred and uh, the phone was answered by this chirpy voice. He says, hello. And I said, oh, hello. And I immediately knew it was Larry Gogan. And um, he says, how can I help you? And I said, it was like listening to him on air. And I said, I'm just wondering, can you give me any information on how to become a radio DJ? So he said, well, how old are you? And I said, I'm 15. And he says, well, no. And he went through this procedure where he said, first of all, get a good leaving cert. Listen to music. He said, learn about the artist." Don't restrict your musical choices. Read the music critics, people like Pat Egan, people like Bush Shields, people like Ken Stewart. They all had columns in spotlight magazine right, and, then yeah. and then Hot Press came along in 1977 Then there was Niall Stokes and there was all sorts of people and he spoke to me for 40 minutes Wow and and I thought he said so he said well I have to go because <laughs> I'm on air now in 10 minutes and I said well I'm going to be listening to you so <laughs> that was it so
2: um, and years later when you started in 2FM <laughs> did you remind him of that story 1989. I started, and I remember the day I
6: started. It was a bank holiday Monday of the Easter weekend that year. And Kevin Healy, the the, the um, a very fine Corkman who's probably listening now out in West Cork, so. uh, He he revamped Radio Two, and he wanted to turn it into a really good classic sort of pop, mature sounding radio station, and he did that. And I was airdropped in onto the afternoon show and my first day, half four, Larry had been on since two. He was doing two to half four. I was doing half four to seven. And I had the headphones on and he had said goodbye. And I didn't realize it, but he came in out of his studio in a room behind me, and he tapped me on the shoulder. And there he was standing there, and I took my headphones off, and he said, "Congratulations! It took you 14 years, but you managed to get here."
2: <laughs> oh and I God. couldn't believe that he remembered. Isn't it incredible, the guy? I mean, yeah. just his brain and his mind alone, but his kindness and his compassion yeah. to a young fool at 15. But, 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 yes. In the book then, during your time within 2FM, you were in very dark places and you were in the throes of dreadful depression. And I I read in the book that you would come off the air and you would go somewhere in the country or a park or a forest and sleep in the car.
6: Yeah, yeah. I was doing the breakfast show. Um, I had I took I had taken over the breakfast show for Mean Dempsey in nineteen ninety eight, and I, I was I was on breakfast for about two and a half years, and I was going through all like all I can say is it was a darkness that I couldn't climb out of. It was there was a sense of worthlessness, and I, I just kept getting deeper and deeper into this. And the only time I actually felt. I could cope was when I was on air, and I had I had a better energy level very early in the morning. So I would get to the breakfast show, and then I would leave, and I would drive up to the Phoenix Park in Dublin. And there was a, a little area there, just behind the 15 acres. Many people will know it for where the Pope, Pope John Paul II, said mass. And I would just recline the seat in the car, and I would sleep for a couple of hours, or I might walk around in. The, the, the forests up there, like completely lost in my head. And uh, I had this idea that when it would get too bad, what I would do some morning during the show, I would, I would wait until the 8 o'clock news bulletin, and then I would walk out to the car park and tell the guys that were working on the show with me that I was going out to get something from the boot of the car. I would get into the car, would drive to Roslaire, get on the car ferry and go to France
2: and disappear. Incredible, and, yeah. and, and in spite of all of this, with a, a wife and young family and a fantastic job, that was pr- you were probably playing that out, that argument in your head. I have a great job, you know, great oh, prospects. Yeah. You know, yeah. what is wrong yeah. with me?
6: Well, this is it. I, I I mean, my my marriage was was failing at that stage, but I I I, I was keeping myself in situ for my young children who were still very young at that stage yes. but I had this kind of escape hatch plan that The ferry I to would, France was always I on the The ferry back to burner. France and, and I would there were ter- I remember I remember researching it there are 32,000 remote villages in France God. and I remember reading up on them and um, I got one of these babble books and Easton's. There was no internet back then. So it it was a sort of a a driver, a a tourist's guide to driving through France. And I had picked out two or three of these beautiful little, um, beautiful little sort of Pyrenees villages where I would uh, learn French fluently, which I was pretty good at anyway. Mm. And I would just vanish and change my identity and start all over again.
2: But you didn't, uh, and you stayed. No. And it's, the, the book is brutally honest and open because there were, there were periods in your life, of course, when, when you were dealing with all of this, obviously, where, um, there was all sorts of financial pressure upon you. At one stage, there was an attachment on your bank account. You were, you were penniless. Yeah. You had pretty much nowhere to live. You couldn't pay the rent. You were struggling for much of your life with dr- the dreadful affliction of obsessive compulsive disorder. You detailed that very much. Um, yeah. It's it's like it's it's so honest and open. Why 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 did you leave Two FM? Why did you move?
6: Um, I you know I'm, I'm I remember being asked that question, and, and the way it was put to me was, you know, you must have been on massive money in there because everybody who is very well known is on massive money. Now, actually, I I when I joined Two FM, I had just missed. The gravy train and the bosses who were beginning to settle into their new positions were really pulling back at that stage on salaries and contracts and that now it turned the other way again ironically after I left the money began to go back up again people began to you know earn like incredibly high salaries but I that said I was very very well paid but what happened was in 2005 Um, I lost one of my best friends. I had a couple of best friends. One of them died quite unexpectedly. He had a huge influence on my life. We were very close. Um, And also uh, my, my marriage ended early that year. And I didn't like the direction the two of them was going in. And that's quite publicly well known and I I voiced it and I said it to a few people. I said, you're reaching out for a younger audience when really our audience is the record size audience that's sitting there listening to us and you're prepared to turn your back on them and fish for young listeners who are already being catered for. By so many of the other radio stations around mm-hmm. the country. Um, and, you know, then they were beginning to say, you know, we'd like you to, we'd like you to, to try and, to do this and we'd like to change that. And I just said, no. It, it, something snapped, Neil. Literally, there was so much going on on so many different levels in my life. Something snapped. And I walked in one day with an envelope and I gave it to the program director and I said, I'm leaving. And I'm leaving next Friday. Wow. And he said, don't leave next Friday. He said, why don't you stay for a few months? I said, I'm leaving next Friday. I've had enough. And I left on Friday. And I remember um, I took a long walk in the Phoenix Park that evening. It was a summer's evening. And I just, I actually said to myself, I sat on a bench, a bench seat in the park. And I thought, I think I'm going mad I actually think I'm going mad. And um, I I went through some awful sort of breakdown for about two weeks after that. In the
2: sense that you, did you you at that stage regret your decision? No, I don't think so. I didn't regret it. I needed space. I needed space
6: in my head. And I remember going to talk to somebody about it and they said, well, you know, look, you've left the job now. You can get another job eventually, hopefully. Um, And and, and I, I think... Sometimes when you're doing the same thing day in day out, but there's an undercurrent in your life where there's so much that's just not solid everything is is almost moving under your feet and yeah. you don't feel you don't feel steady on the ground you just don't feel comfortable in yourself and I just felt no I have to get away from this I, I have to um, I just have to get away and we were in the throes of Uh, the Celtic Tiger, which was into its final sort of third uh, of of the 10 years that we had it at that stage. So there were warning signs, red flags and bells ringing. No one was listening. At that stage, I had left a good job. I, I then decided, right, I'm going to move to Galway. That's right. Um, you caught a break uh, in Galway Bay FM stage, I, I did. Yeah, Keith Finnigan, great character. Keith rang me and he says, "I hear you're in Galway," and I said, "Yes, I am." He says, "Oh, come and work for me." He said, um, "You know, we'd love to have you on." So I stayed there with Keith and all the team for about two and a half years. Um, by then, things were beginning to settle. I was, I I I think also in 2005, and I talk about this in the book, I interviewed Don Baker on my show. Don's a great friend of mine for years. And Don, out of the blue, started talking about his experience um, at St. Conlet's Reformatory College in Dangan in Offaly. And it's well-documented Um And, you know, he he got so emotional about the treatment that he endured there during his incarceration. Mm. And he started crying on on air. Mm. And then I started crying because he resurrected in the space of a few seconds what I had been through myself. So we were both sitting there on air live crying and I, I was looking out at my crew outside the window and one of them had her hand to her mouth saying, I don't really know what we're meant to do here. We can't just say go to an ad break. So I, I don't ever recall it happening anywhere before, but we eventually pulled ourselves together and started talking again. And then we went to an ad break. And of course, all hell broke loose. You know, the people who ran the radio station just said, that is just outrageous, that shouldn't have happened. And yet the listeners, yeah, could empathize who were, who were the real bosses, yeah. they texted in and said, God, talk about healing. I got healing yeah. listening to you guys talking today. So that was another reason why I had to shift myself out of what was traditionally me. And I had to go and look for what was really me. Which took me a long year, a long time
2: after that to find. And in the book, you talk of those Celtic Tiger years, and there was a period within your life where, of course, you were under an awful lot of financial, uh, constraint. Um, and yeah. on a number of occasions, I thought, I thought this was really, really interesting, and your, your court appearances where you would be in court for financially related matters and the, the the call out would be called out for people who are also in court who wouldn't attend in court because they were no longer alive I don't know did you call it suicide by bank or is that a term that's used yeah
6: yeah that's what it is yes it is yeah yeah um, I remember it was in the, the uh, master of the high court um and the 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 occasion i appeared in front of the master of the high court uh, a man i have the utmost of respect for ed honohan um and i had the pleasure of meeting him after after that uh, we never discussed obviously that day but i remember meeting him just literally bumping into him um the master of the high court, for anyone who doesn't know, is is he's like the, the gatekeeper. He decides which cases go forward for trial in the high court. And mine came up and I owed money and I went in and that day the courtroom was packed full of people, 50% of them. Barristers in, you know, wigs and gowns and that, and then they had their clients. Uh, and I was representing myself because I was broke and I couldn't afford a yes, barrister. No. So for the, I think the seven or eight cases before mine, they were called by number, number 417. Um, Mr. X versus and they'd give a name of a bank you know uh, and the barrister would stand up and say um, Your Honour, my client is not present today um, and the judge would say, why is that counsel?" And he says uh, deceased and
2: Judge Honahan said cause of death and he said suicide. Oh my God, it was so prevalent then wasn't it? And God and knows we could be back there now.
6: This went on and on and there were four cases while I sat there before mine and all I heard was this word cause of death suicide and then the case before mine an elderly man stood up and he the judge said are you Mr. So-and-so he said yes I am your honor And his voice was breaking and he said, where is your barrister? Where is your solicitor? He said, I can't afford one, sir. He said, my house is being repossessed. And he said, well, have you not, can you not get free legal aid? Can you not go to a solicitor? He said, no, sir. He said, I'm here to plead with you. And then he started crying. He said, judge, don't let them take my house off me, please. And he got down on his knees. God. And the barrister for the bank was standing there while he was kneeling on the floor, kneel crying. The barrister for the bank was saying, Your Honor, this case was brought before you six months ago, but my client claims, our client claims that this individual has not engaged. And the judge at that stage said, wait a minute. Sit down. This man is on his knees crying. This decent, kind man who has dignity. He said, show him some respect. And it was like watching some sort of Shakespearean drama being played out. And the the man's daughter came up and helped him up. And Judge Honahan said, how old is your father? And she said, he's nearly 80, Your Honor. He went guarantor for our son. And our son, unfortunately, his business broke down. So now the bank are going to repossess my father's old house, which he's lived in all his life. Amazing story. And the judge said, well, he's not in my court. He said, and he said, Mr. So-and-so, he said, I'm going to suspend this case for 12 months. I want you to get your legal affairs in order and you'll be back here with me this time next year. And hopefully we'll be in a better place. That man wanted to hug the judge. He said, what does this mean, Judge? He said, it means you can stay in your house for at least another year and hopefully long after
2: that. And who and knows my, what happened with the rest of that story? W- well, no, this is it. And then my
6: case came up and was, I was 418, you know, O'Callaghan versus. And I stood up and the judge looked at me and he said, Mr. O'Callaghan. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you're representing yourself. I said, yes, sir, I am. And it, it, there's that moment where there's dead silence and suddenly, and and I'm I'm not blowing my showbiz trumpet here when I say this, but there's that moment when you know everyone sitting in that room suddenly knows who you are, Um, and you start talking, and you can hear people shuffling, saying, that's him, I can recognize his voice. And the place is packed. And talk about even more humiliating. There were 22 students from a transition year Sitting oh, at the back man. of the court was one of their teachers listening oh. so the, you know it it it's it, if 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 they if if people really want to know what financial hardship is visit, visit the visit the the master of the high court sessions someday you can you can just walk in bring your sandwiches spend a couple of hours it really it really shows you what Real financial hardship can do to people, and I—I I, I say it specifically in the book that the way those treat those people who—that was way back in 2011, mm-hmm. ten years ago. If those people had just clung on, like I clung on. I wonder how different their lives would have been today.
2: Y- you, d- you did cling on, um, and I of did. course, and and moved on, and, and got other gigs and what have you, and, and, and worked with, with 4FM, um, but the diagnosis in 2018 of, of MSA, where you were told this is a progressively fatal illness, you detail in the book on numerous occasions um, the struggle with just dealing with that, um, the struggle of trying to take it all in, the anger you felt at all of this happiness around you, for instance, when you had been given this diagnosis. I'm
6: um, sorry you- right, Yeah, we, we, Paula and I had left the neurologist's office. Um, it was a Friday afternoon. It was the beginning of that beautiful summer heat wave in May 2018, and my neurologist, a wonderful, kind, kind man, Professor Peter Kelly, said, Gareth, I want you to come into the matter Hospital for a couple of weeks. He said, we've done all of these tests, but as an inpatient, he said, we can do them all again um, and in close quarters very quickly. We can double-check them and we can do them a second time. He said... We really need, he said, I've, I've eliminated so many things that it's not. The, the whole thing about a diagnosis is that it's a process of elimination. They literally tell you what it's not. So they're literally running a bi through a, a condition. And unfortunately, by that stage, we were left with what we knew was going to be multiple system atrophy and um professor kelly said to us that day he said i said to him what are we looking at professor and he said it would appear we're looking at msa and that was when for the two of us our world just collapsed
2: because it's progressively fatal irreversible yeah
6: there's there's no cure there's nothing to slow it down um, unless you can find some new therapy, which is why I keep looking for these new therapies, yes. all they can do is, is treat the symptoms and try to give you a prolonged quality of life. But they leave you in no in no doubt what's coming and what's going to happen. And, and, does, and
2: does that involve, forgive me, does that involve perhaps Paula becoming your full-time carer then, do you think? Yes. Yeah.
6: Yes. Yeah. In a word, it does. Um, and we've talked about this, and I like to think that it's it's a long way off, but I'm looking at friends of mine that I've made during the last three years who also have been diagnosed with this, and their progression is beginning to accelerate. Now, I am literally clinging to every possibility I can find to push things out there and you know some days it works other days it doesn't other days are very debilitating you you, you can barely get out of bed other days are fine you know before lockdown we could head for Curabinny Woods and we could go for a beautiful walk there or don't go down to you know the, the beach in guardstown now we're restricted but hopefully the, the restriction will lift mm-hmm. but it, it, it's it's I think What's keeping me going is keeping everything within the day, Neil. It's it's I find now that the joy is in the small things, which is why I've simplified so much and I've I've gotten away from heavy pressures and stresses and anxieties at the rat race and, and you know, what I used to think was important, what I used to think was I, I had to do and I had to achieve. Now my attitude is why do I have to? It's not going to make any difference.
2: But with the with the condition that you have now and going forward and your life before it, do you think that you have had a fair, that life has been fair to you?
6: Yeah, I, 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 I do. Life is what, you know, that that great talk, talk song, Life is What You Make It. Um life is what you make of it i you know i i've heard people say life threw me a bad hand of or life life never really I, it never really gave me any luck. i i i don't i i don't sit easy with those statements because life is not a person life is simply a space within which we live and sometimes things go well sometimes things don't and the anger i felt around about the time of the diagnosis I had to very quickly reel that in because I knew that while anger can be very useful if you need to be angry in order to get something sorted, well then that's fine once the anger dissipates but you know unresolved anger because you have been diagnosed with an illness, whether it's cancer or whether it's a neurological illness that eats into you deep. Deeply and it actually accelerates the, the, the ailment itself. You know, you've got to get away from the anger. Um, and, and in that, in that itself is a huge challenge. Sometimes you have to meet it head on every day and say, no, I'm not going to let myself get angry here. Um, so I, you know, there, you, you, you really do need to kind of get onto a different parallel and walk that in a different space to actually make life
2: worthwhile. You know, with regards to your career as as, as a, a super-duper broadcaster, everyone would agree with that. Just a natural, natural talent that was instilled as a child with a love and a passion of music and communication. Do you think you stopped too early? I mean, do you miss it? Yeah, terribly. Yeah, I, 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 I do. And I'm asked this a lot,
6: you know, did, did I stop too early? Um, I don't believe I did. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't mind saying quite publicly that I had reached a stage where I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. Um, I listened to you in the mornings and I can hear, I can hear the thrill in your voice. I can hear the challenge in your voice. I I can hear the fact that you're hungry for what you do. I, I still have that, but I, I had over the 40 years, I had a number of periods where, I would have been involved in talk radio. And they were the times I really loved. Now, the music radio I did back at the RTE days as well, that was very satisfying. But radio now has become very much, uh, here's four songs in a row and I'm going to speak for 20 seconds. And that's all very well if you're a young guy or a young girl starting out. And you have it all before you. And there's great potential and choice that will come from that because you're on a very, very... Privileged public platform, mm. but when you're getting close to sixty, and somebody's saying to you, "No, you've got to play four in a row, and you can only talk for thirty seconds mm. after that." Well, yeah. While I need the weekly wage, mm. um, I, 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 just I felt no, I'm, I'm worth I understand, more than yeah, and, no, uh, I do understand. I, I
2: don't need that, you know. Yeah. And and, but, and, we, yeah. and we touched on radio moments. Uh, I won't keep you much longer. No, but there's no we, worry. We, we touched on radio moments it was obviously. Larry Gogan another one was the yeah. Don Baker moment but was there one outstanding, fondest, or most special radio moment? I mean, for instance, you were, I wasn't on air that day, I was in the morning, but you were on air when the planes hit the Twin Tower, for instance, and you, yeah. you go into this beautifully in the book, and not just for me as a broadcaster, I think anybody who reads it will, will understand what you were going through in a live scenario. Cause you were very much caught on the hop as to, do I, just talk to us about that, do I stay with this story? You know, how do I react to it? It was unfolding live. Was that the moment, do you think?
6: Yes, it was. It, it was a Tuesday afternoon. It was five, it was just about eight minutes to two. And I watched CNN on the screen in front of me. Um, now, you've got to remember that, you know, we'd no Facebook and we'd no Twitter and no Instagram back then. This was 2001. We, we thankfully had email and we had uh, we had SMS texts. Um and just as the sports news began i realized that cnn were doing a rerun so i hit the button called prefade listen which means that if you if you're watching television you can actually hit this button and you can hear it in your headphones while the radio show is still continuing and i realized that the two morning news people on cnn had just described that a passenger plane had crashed into the uh, North Tower of the World Trade Center. And this was live. This was real. And John Kenny was reading the sports news and I broke into his sports news and he looked at me as said, I'm reading the sports. What are you doing? Yeah. And, I, and I said, look, look at the television behind you. I, this is live on air. I said, I, I, a passenger plane has just hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And with that... We were then live. And it was at that moment that the second plane came veering in across that beautiful blue dawn sky across Manhattan. Huge, big plane. And it banked 45, 90 degrees and literally turned, accelerated and then hit the South Tower midway round about, I think, the 74th floor. And I'll never forget seeing the speed of it hit the tower. And then I thought it would come out the far side, but it didn't. But yet there was that huge explosion of kerosene fuel and then all of the paper, you know, the stationery and all that sort of stuff floating down. And it was at that moment, as you say, do I run with this or do I just press the jingle and start the song? And I said to myself in a split second... One of those sliding doors moments, I said, I'm going to sit with this.
2: Did you stay with it for an hour, two hours? Did you take calls on it? Did you manage to contact anybody in in New York? Things like that?
6: Three hours. Three hours. We we, we didn't play a single song. Um, All we did was we obviously had to um, comply with obligations
2: to play the commercial breaks. I um, think you got was, Conor Cleary was, from the Irish Times in, in America yes, and things, yeah.
6: Yeah, he was in a department in, in New York at that stage. We got another guy from County Mayo who was working in the Chrysler Tower who was able to describe the, the actual South Tower collapsing for his live on air. He cried. Uh, we also had someone on from Erlingus in New York, um, one of the ground staff, they were waiting on the plane to come in and they just wanted to let everybody know here at home that it had been uh, diverted to Newfoundland. Um, uh, that it, it, was, it was extraordinary. We were looking at people texting saying, please say hello to my mom and tell her I'm okay. I only started work here the other day, but I'm doing fine. I'm not in the
2: building. Was that um, your radio moment, do you think? Yes, without
6: a doubt. Without a doubt. And you know, Neil, it it changed everything for me after that. I think I could never go back into the radio studio again after that day because something had shifted. And the the wonderful task of making people laugh and playing, you know, good, catchy, upbeat, spirit-lifting music, that was gone after that day.
2: It's um, it's an amazing book, a memoir about hope and finding a way through the dark. Um, Gareth Callan's new book is called "What Matters Now," and I've only touched on it as you can well appreciate, as the man who wrote it. But um, thanks so much for catching up with us. I know we we'll, we will stay in touch on the on oh, your journey. Absolutely, yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I want to wish you and and Paula well as we hopefully in the next couple of weeks come out of some kind of lockdown and get to spread our wings a little bit more.
6: Yeah, and, and can I just say, if I've just one more minute, Neil, something you said to me, I think at the end of the last chat we had, which I, which I always enjoy having, by the way, you said, thank you. every one of us needs a Paula, and it, it was something that resonated with me, and if I, if I can just say thank you to her publicly today, because I don't get a chance to do this very often, that she has been my rock, and I genuinely mean this, you know, we, we, we met... Six years ago, last Saturday, in the voodoo rooms, and every day since then has been a joy. It turned my life around, and all I can tell her is that I love her beyond words, and I'm so grateful to her for everything that she does for me.
2: Well, a lovely way to finish our conversation, Gareth. Thanks so much. In regards to you and to Paula going forward, thanks, always. me. It's great to chat to you. Take and care you too, yourself. Pal. Take care, Gareth a. Callahan. What matters now? His new book. Uh, buy it for yourself. Buy it for a loved one. Just buy it. Our lines will stay open at 1-850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow.
7: Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to
2: subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.